Hello, everyone, and welcome to State of the Realm, your weekly Final Fantasy XIV podcast. I am your host, Mr. Happy. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> Sly, a.k.a. Gray Fox. Um, and this week, we're going to be talking about story. The embargo has been lifted. We can geek out about the story all, all we want to. So, of course, with me um, is not Mr. Happy. He's... Mr. Happy's absent. He's here, but in spirit. But for this episode, we definitely needed our lore correspondent. And that is Ethis Asher. Ethis, Hi. How you doing? How we going, guys? I'm I'm great. I'm excellent. Um, you thought you were going to get away with no one doing like the Sly AKA thing, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no yeah, nicknames. You really, you really thought you were getting away with that? Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. Oh, no, God, no, no. please. Okay. Go ahead. Fine. So uh, we, have, <laughs> we have our co-host with the co-most, Sly, AKA Slip and Slide the Fox. <laughs> I get AKA, a new one! AKA, as the Ishgardians would say, thou art my Esquire Blue. Nice! I actually like that one! Happy, you gotta work that one in. You have to work that one in. That's one I like. You are my Esquire Blue. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for that intro. And, by the way, how are you enjoying Heaven's Ward so far? Oh, it's amazing. It's, it's just... It's so much more than what I was expecting, I gotta say. Um, now... We're gonna get we're gonna get a lot into the story, of course. Um, there's so much to talk about. But uh, first, any any twist, any M Night Shyamalan twist that you kind of had, any high impact moments of the story. We're we're gonna talk about them later. But I just want to get your take on what was something major that happened for you. I gotta say, um, a lot of the big twists. I was noticing. I did kind of see coming the mm-hmm. the whole thing with um, Thordan becoming a primal. I mean, that one. We we should have picked up on that in like two point We've got this massive church right. with um with people praying to this idol for for a thousand years. Um, when I sort of caught on with that, sort of near the beginning of the Heaven's Ward story, I was like, oh damn, that's that's I don't know why. Mm, I don't know why I didn't see that before. Um, the origins of the war, I thought, was a was a really interesting one because we were getting constantly um, leading up to to Heaven's War, particularly from Shiva. We were getting this idea that what we'd been told by um, by the Ishgardians, what was sort of the accepted history of Ishgard, was uh, not quite there. Um, what else was there? There was. Um, uh, Nidhogg's eye actually being Hreisvelga's eye. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I thought that was really interesting because I remember when we were seeing the first shots of Hreisvelga, um, I was assuming that that was actually Nidhogg. And people were saying, oh, no, you idiot. Nid- Nidhogg's the black one. He's not the white one. Duh. Um, I was thinking, yeah, but that dude's got one eye. And um, we know Nidhogg's got an eye missing. So, yeah, that, that, that didn't really surprise me, but I thought that was quite clever. And... Um, I guess the other big one was probably Astinian turning, which I think everyone saw coming. Actually, think? actually, I did. Well, in the early phases, I didn't see that coming. Um, with Nidhogg, uh, with Racevolger, yeah, I kind of agree with mm. you there because when we were getting a lot of the uh, trailers and everything, 
we were looking at that dragon in particular and we were thinking he only has one eye. That's Nidhogg. Mm. No, that's yeah. that was Race Falger. And mm. with Nidhogg's eye being a total lie and not his, yeah, that was a crucial point for me. Um one sore subject that we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, Nanamo. <laughs> Nanamo not being dead, being in a sort of a comatose state. It's it, The poison, it wasn't really a poison. It was just a, a glorified sleep potion. And That was such a cheap shot. <laughs> that was, that was ridiculous. I mean, okay, fine, fine. You can do that. You can have someone... Uh, drop dead and then later find, find out it was some sort of comatose bullshit. But the thing is, we got this whole violent, you know, screaming and gasping and, and throwing herself across the room kind of thing. No sleep potion does that. That's not how a sleep potion... A sleep potion puts you to sleep. It isn't incredibly excruciatingly painful. Um, so I think that um, from a story perspective, the way they presented that to us was, was just cheap. I, I think with those kind of twists, you need to leave some kind of breadcrumbs mm-hmm. um, and they just refuse to do that there. Um, so i got to say it didn't bother me as much as it would have bothered me if I'd been told beforehand, hey, Nanamo is actually going to be alive. Um, because when we fa- found out that she was alive, we were sort of raising the stakes in Ishgard uh, at the point where we had so many other things to worry about that it wasn't. I guess such a big letdown. Um, I don't know why I'm calling it a letdown that none of us survived. <laughs> <laughs> you want like, uh, no, because really, what people wanted, I think, what people wanted was for there to be some kind of um, closure. They're like, if they're yeah. going to be dead, just let them be dead. I mean, I understand that um, a lot of the scions we want to see come back. We think we're going to see them come back. We're going to. I think we're going to see Menphilia come back. I pray to God we see Mubraina come back. Um, but I, I feel like I it's not gonna, uh, it's, it's wishful <laughs> thinking at that point. But, um, oh, yeah. Yeah, with the whole um, Nanamo coming back, it's just I, I kind of fear that um, they're going to try to bring back as many Scions as they can. And I don't think it, it'll be good for story. I don't think it's good for the story. If you had to choose one Scion to die. <laughs> to die completely? Like no no yeah. coming back yeah. from anything? No coming back. And no no explanation. Just they're just gone. A lot of people are gonna hate me for this. And I'm not racist. Just wanna let that <laughs> out the way right now. Because I know so many Pop Limo. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Papa Limo, because I am unashamedly racist. <laughs> You're a lala hater. Have you have you heard his fucking voice? I've heard his it's voice. Like, it's like it's like a cheese grater on the face. It's ugh. ugh. They fixed um, <clears throat> they fixed one of the other Lollafell's voices. Who did they fix? Tataru. They they fixed mm. her. Yeah yeah yeah. Because she had that really kind of squeaky sort of chipmunk voice in um in 2.0 and they just gave her some kind of cockney i guess it was yeah remotely cockney yeah anyway so i thought i thought that was much better um what did you what do you think of the other voice changes um because we had quite a few of them yeah i agree with a lot of people they're hit or miss 
Um, mm. A lot of people like Alpha No. Um, mm. I, I didn't have a problem with Alpha No to begin with. They just, a lot of people say he's less whiny. I mean, that's just probably a story thing, but he doesn't sound as quote unquote whiny. So, um, Merlebs, um, eh. I'm kinda, I kind of feel a little bit off about Merlebs because I'm so used to the whole kind of deep voice-ish Merlewib. Um Yeah, Merlewib is kind of weak. Yeah. yeah. Other than that, I really didn't have a problem with the voices. Hmm. Alphano is an interesting one because I, um, I heard a few people complaining, not that it was bad, but that it was kind of jarring mm-hmm. um, because it was quite, quite a large jump. It was quite lower and more uh, sort of self-assured and less, like you say, less sort of whiny and cocky. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that definitely is a story thing. Uh, after the fall, he's, um, he sort of matured a lot in a very short amount of time. Right. We've also got to keep in mind the fact that Alphano is growing up yes. and he's going to be, you know, a year or two older or whatever it is uh, since he was at, um, at the beginning of 2.0. And they're probably going to have to change his voice several times to reflect that. And through expansions, we're probably going to see him growing into, uh, into a man, um, which I think will be really interesting. I'm, I'm really interested to see where he ends up. Yeah, I want to dive into uh, Alpha Note in a little while, but before we do that, in terms of the um, story up to what we have thus far, um, how did you find it in terms of pacing? Uh, did you feel like you kind of got lost anywhere within all of the lore that happened, all of the things happening at once? Did you feel like you kind of missed a step and like, wait, the shit's happening too fast? Because not really. Oh. Not really. Um, I, I found the pacing a lot. Um, it was fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can imagine that, that some people might have, particularly if you're skipping stuff, you would have, you know, in the space of 10 minutes gone, okay, what, what's going on now? But um, mm-hmm. no, I got, I got to say it was, it was much better paced than A Realm Reborn. A Realm Reborn has you sort of running around, has a lot of downtime. It has a lot, a lot of sort of just running around in circles and go here and go there and you're, you're constantly sort of switching your, your companions and the people that you're communicating with. Um, I like the way that Heaven's Ward for the most part is, it's the Fellowship of the Ring. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got your party, you're journeying out, you're going in more or less a straight line um, and it's sort of, you know, relatively fast paced. There's always something happening. There's very little downtime. Uh, until you get to sort of level 59 and you have to go and do a whole bunch of the, the Google library. Um, but uh, I, thought, I thought it was really great. There's a few people saying that they thought it was too fast. What do, what do you think? I actually think it was paced out just right. I didn't feel like it... I feel like there were certain... Um, maybe certain points that um, kind of got skipped over, like... When did all this happen? Why did all this happen? For example, uh, the whole um, issue in Ulda with Nanimo, mm. with the Syndicate. Uh, we touch on it for a second. That's it. Back to business. Mm. Like, are we really, really going to leave it at that? We ha- we're barely even touching this. Okay, everything's, everything's not just okay just because Nanimo's back. I mean, that's not good. okay. It's not okay. It's not, it's not okay. I mean... First off, um, 
most people thought um, Lollarito was still a freaking sinister dude, which I still think he is. I still he think, is. Yeah, he definitely is. Um, no even doubt. though, even though um, we kind of had to be appreciative that he didn't truly kill Nanamo. He's. It's like he's saying, "Well, here you go. Here's Nanamo. We could have killed her, but we didn't." So, yeah. It, so that just really. We gotta vi- revisit that at some point. We have to mm-hmm. come back to that. Um, other than that, I don't think there was anything um, too fast-paced in the story. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it gets it picks up a little in the end phases when you get to Azizla, Law, when you really start dealing with the Garleans. And that's another thing we're gonna touch. We're gonna touch on later is the Garleans and how we didn't see a lot of them. We mm-hmm. we got a little bit of it, but right at the end and we didn't see a lot of them um but going back to the the beginning the beginning of heaven's ward we start off in Corthus um central highlands and alpha node's still feeling sorry for himself as usual so hashafant kind of convinces us to kind of you know pick up our spirits and move on towards ishgard and so we do. And when we get there, we are greeted by the voice of Edmont Fortin in diary fashion. What did you think of that tool, uh, using that to kind of push the story along? Because every time you visited a new area, you were greeted by Edmont's voice. What did you think of that as a device? Um, I, thought, I thought it lent to the... Um... Not so much the urgency, but the feeling that it was a sort of journey and an epic and we weren't just sort of wandering around kind of randomly doing things. Um, yeah, I, I thought a lot of people were saying, I saw a thread a couple of days uh, sort of suggesting when is Fortom talking about this? At some point in the in the future, reflecting back, where where is he then? What is sort of happening? I don't think... That's really so important. I think he could be writing at any time. Um, I think it's sort of somewhere at the end of Heaven's Ward. Uh, but I really, agree with that. yeah, I, I thought I thought it was interesting as a device. Um, it started to get a little bit cheesy to me <laughs> uh, after the sort of third or fourth time. You're sort of anticipating it and you're expecting it, and you're going, "All right, okay, here we go." Um, no, I thought I thought it was really interesting. I got to say. Yeah, and I kind of agree with you uh, with where um, the narration is going to end up because I think it's going to catch up in the probably final phase of Heaven's Ward. It will probably pick up at that present point and will meet right where he is in terms of his writing. Um, yeah, I thought it was a good device. I thought it was a brilliant device. Do you think, do you think we're going to have a moment like, um, like Frodo walking in on Bilbo Baggins and seeing him writing it? The obliga- yeah, yeah, the obligatory. Yeah, what's that? <laughs> uh, nothing, nothing. I think that's how the final patch in Heaven's Ward is going to start. We're just going to come in, like, just walk in on him writing this, and then that's where the story will pick up. Yeah, yeah I, and, I believe and that's then it was, uh, it, it was all a dream. <laughs> all the Durgans were a dream. So, um, yes, Durgans. We got a lot of Durgans. We, we got one yeah, main Durgan. We got one main Durgan. Well, two, really. Um, 
we uh, our first interaction is with uh, Horace Folger. Mm. Now, it, this is the one we thought that most people thought was Nidhogg. Um, mm. I may be moving a bit fast here, but we um, we there's an ongoing war, the Dragon Song War. Um, what did you think about the interaction with Race Falker him? Um, because honestly, I thought in the beginning, before any of all any of this, I thought maybe we were gonna have to quote unquote deal with Race Falker, but mm. Lady Iceheart to save the day as the voice of reason, the voice of peace. Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't think we were gonna have to fight him. I actually thought he was gonna be more useful than he was. Um, I don't know. I, one, one, of my, one of my big problems with the way the, the Heavens Ward arc kind of concluded is that we, we didn't really accomplish anything. We didn't manage to successfully kind of parlay and create a, a communication with Grace Velga, and we didn't succeed to destroy Nidhogg either. And we haven't ended the war. Uh, we've broken that cycle of um, of uh, lies and, and doubt and deceit, but um, we haven't really made any progress. So you think everything we've done thus far in 3.0 has been for nothing? All the stuff we no, done- I, I don't think I don't think it's been for nothing. I think that we've um, I think even worse than that. We got more problems than we started with. We've we've sort of discovered all of these other problems that are happening concurrently mm-hmm. that that we were blissfully ignorant to. And um, that's something I want to get into a little bit further. With the there were more problems than the Durgans. There was internal struggle within Ishgard, and you kind of mm. find that out really early about how sort of corrupt the system is. You learn that really early uh, through. Tataru um, and Alpha No getting arrested for what? Mm. <laughs> for what? Um, was it propaganda? Was it that they said? I forget what it was. Yes, they they were basically it's 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 that Ishgardian xenophobia. Mm-hmm. It, you see it. Um, I mean, you see it in real life all the time. You get a state of war that necessitates this. Um, sort of centralization of assets and centralization of power um, and you know you have to come down really hard on any any you know even sort of petty theft and stuff like that mm-hmm. um, and you get to the point where you get you know corrupt power mongering people that use that to push their own agenda and that's exactly what we're seeing um, and that's exactly the uh, the sort of ancien regime that um, that the the peasants are all about overthrowing and um, yeah, I think I think that is a really interesting conflict. But it's one that I was definitely expecting to see when we got there. Yeah, you can kind of see that. You can kind of tell the state of things from going around Ishgard, um, mm. going through the foundation, going seeing the condition, the condition of people. It's not that good. It's not that good. And when you're first introduced to the knights, it's not a pretty introduction. Uh, the way they the way they work it's a classic it's a really old system trial by trial by battle 
Oh which yeah, I, that, which I thought mm. was kind of interesting. You had to fight your way out of out of guilt. Even if you are mm. guilty, if you win, you're free. You're innocent. <laughs> yeah, that kind of bothered me. I mean, we saw we saw something similar at um, at Witch Drop in mm -hmm. 2.0, mm -hmm. where the idea was, uh, okay, if you're a heretic and you've partaken the blood of the Durgan, then we'll push you off the cliff and you'll transform and you'll fly away. And if you're not, then you'll fall and you'll die and you'll be one with Haloni and you'll be one of the honored dead. And I mean, that, that's exactly what we used to do to witches in the Middle Ages in terms of, um, uh, you know, drowning and burning at the stake and stuff like that. Um, so I thought that was interesting. I thought that was more interesting than the trial by combat. I, th mm -hmm. I, f I found the trial by combat a little bit... Um, I don't know. I don't know why it bothered me, but it, it bothered me. A little bit Yeah, cheesy. I guess. I guess. Yeah. yeah, it sort of played out. Yeah. Trial by cheese. Trial by cheese. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. I, I, did, I did feel like it was a little bit cheesy. It, it kind of was what you pictured as like old school um, in terms of that time frame. Um, mm. Old school caste systems, quote unquote, and um, old school government. And yeah, mm. it did feel a little bit cheesy to me. Um, but you end up getting out of it because you win. Because you're the warrior of light and you're protected by story. <laughs> of course you are. So because of that, you get an audience with Thornton and Thornton the Seventh, excuse me. And he kind of lets you know how things are, how things are working. He he knows that you know about the Asians. And he's kinda of, he's kinda of trying to play the Asians. Sort of kinda, of, but I still thought that in, in that phase of the story, I thought that he was kind of a double agent. He's trying to tell me mm. the right thing, yet tell them the right thing. And it just that part really confused me. Um what was what really was Thornton's intentions with the Asians and with everyone? I think he was being totally transparent when, when we talked to him. Um, I, you sort of see in him this arrogance. You see in him that, that he thinks that he's got the pieces in play and that his end game, which is obviously becoming the, the primal thought and is sort of inexorable. Even, even by the time that you show up um, and, and basically there's nothing you can do about it and he may as well be transparent about it. Um, so, no, I didn't, I didn't think he was really playing us. I didn't think that he was sort of um, actually working for the Asians and just sort of trying to um, put off our, our suspicions. Um, but that was definitely, that was really interesting. I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that before he went into Heaven's Ward. I thought that he was literally going to be a puppet of the Asians, if not um, sort of enthralled by one of the Asians in the way that, um, that Thancred was by La Habrea. Hmm. Yeah, I just, I just didn't know what to think of Thornton at that point. I'm, I hmm. didn't know what side he, what side he was truly on, whether he was just completely selfish, whether he was for... Ishgard, what we and we kind of learned this further. We learned his true intentions, but yeah, at that time it confused me. It really confused me. And then um, the whole, the whole 
this is what I call the start of our Dragon Song War because this is the first time we really get introduced to doing something about the oncoming dragon slot. Um, mm. So we get paired with Estinian, uh, the Azure Dragoon. And the other Azure Dragoon. The other Azure Dragoon because, yeah, we're the Azure Dragoon too, aren't we? Yeah. I liked it how how we did actually get some references to that. If and that it wasn't just sort of ignored. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, those for those of you who aren't Dragoons, if you are Dragoon, you did your Dragoon job quest, they reference you as the other Azure Dragoon, which is pretty neat. I thought it was Yeah. I thought it was a pretty um it made me feel special. Maybe you feel well, it would have it would have pissed off every dragoon if they ignored that. They'd have been like, yeah. why, why the fuck did I do this? <laughs> like, <laughs> come on, hello, I'm I'm right here. I'm literally right here. So we had we start off with um our little crew of yourself, the warrior light, Afino, the Azure dragoon, and then eventually we get an, our last key presence which is the sort of queen of the heretics aka Iceheart that's kind of a motley crew there don't you think in terms of did that oh, surprise you did having Yuzel join us did that surprise you in any way with who with the comp the current company we had yeah at the time it did really? because um you have some you have this Azure Dragoon who <laughs> Who's, it's his job to kill dragons. It, that's his job. And mm. you have the lady who speaks on behalf of the dragons, and the whole entire time, they just don't get along. Like, Oh, they were getting along just fine. They were, I mean, they were getting along, <laughs> but in everybody's mind, you had to think, would you two fucking get a room? Can you, exactly. Do you want us to just <laughs> yeah. leave you alone? We'll go away. Oh, I'll go do yeah. hunts. I'll go do hunts for about seven hours. Do you? Can you? Can we come back and y'all just, just be get it over with? Get it over with. But yeah, just I mean, come back and just you guys just smoking and and relaxed, and we can just fucking get on with it. Uh, but it was really it really that was the core group. Um, you kind of needed uh, you sail to attempt a parlay with the dragons. Um, we wanted hmm. to. We wanted to find a way to kind of fight without fighting, so we had we wanted to talk to Race Volger, and of course we needed Yassel to do that. So we end up going on this like w Lord of the Rings style journey, uh, and, and that's basically what it was. It was a Lord of the Rings style journey, and you got two people bickering. Uh, Alpha Notes trying to hold everything together, and. At first, he's not doing that great of a job, and then he kind of he kind of grows into it, and you kind of get to see goes back to what you're saying. You get to see the character progression of him becoming a mm -hmm. man. He's becoming more of the leader that he was supposed to be in the Crystal Braves. Yeah, there's a little bit of salt still there with the whole Crystal Braves thing. I'll get to that later. That's that's interesting. That. Um... So you think that it's Alphano that's sort of holding the party together? Yeah, I really believe that Alphano was the cement to this group. He, um, you did see because I thought that I was the cement. I thought that I thought the Warrior of Light was the cement. 
I gotta say. You were kind of, I think, I feel like the Warrior of Light was kind of the support to Alphano. This is, mm. we're, I feel like it's, you're on a presidential tour. You're like on this <laughs> candidacy tour and you're the vice president. Alphano, he is, he's really on route to becoming Louis Swa. He's not there. He's not there by leaps and bounds, but mm. he's slowly progressing to get to that state. And I think I feel like when you were on this journey, you so, you sort of saw him evolve um, mm. from quote unquote the 2.0 whiny Alphano who lost the Crystal Braves, had all the chaos happen in the end, lost the Scions, wept about it, cried about it. Oh, woe is me! To he gets his ass up in gear. He's got a he's got a quote unquote primal and an Azure Dragoon bickering back and forth, and he kind of holds it together. Mm. He, he kind of holds it together. He takes charge. He, um, in, the, um, in one phase where we eventually, you know, leave Lady Iceheart, for reasons we'll talk about, um, yeah, he's just, a, I feel like he is more of that leadership role now. That's interesting. Um... Because I, I agree that he definitely sort of came into his own and became a lot more mature. But I feel like a lot of that was um, was sort of surrendering that need to be in control and, and that he'd, he'd gone to the point um, where he's finally learned to kind of sit down and listen. Mm -hmm. um, and you notice all the way through Heaven's War that we are constantly being referred to something which has never happened before. Um, whereas... In a realm reborn, we're told, you know, go do this, go do that, go do this, and we're everyone's puppet. And um, you know, Gaius comments on that. Uh, the Assians comment on that. Uh, most recently, Ilberg comments on that and talks uh, about how we're, um, you know, just puppets of, of other people's ideas. Um, even Midgard says, you know, he wants us to take charge of our own fate and our own destiny. Um, so I definitely agree that Alfino was was sort of holding it together in a lot of ways. He was also deferring to us and he was, he was also, <sighs> as he was making decisions, he was saying, hey, what do you think? You're the one with the experience. You're the warrior of life. You're the one who hasn't, you know, had their, had their shit fall apart. So you really believe that you as the warrior of light, um, because of what Midgard Stormer is saying, you are, I mean, again, story. It's just, it's, it's kind of story device that you, of course, would be the central, central plot mm. device. But you feel like, even still, with Alpha No growing, you're still the main focus. You're still kind of the glue that holds everyone together. Well, I don't think it's still. I think that we weren't that thing in a realm reborn. I think in a in a realm reborn, um, yeah, of course, we're the focus, but we are not what is moving the story forward. We are just performing for other people. Um, whereas I feel like now we're the one that's sort of responsible for the, for the ideas and the movement and, um, and people are going to start looking to us as a leader among the scions rather than just the, the hitman. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so that's where I think we're going. That's where I hope we're going. Um, and I think that simple device of, of having 
uh, dialogue options for us every now and then, even though they don't change the direction of the story. It, it gives us that feeling that we're, we're sort of being respected, we're being looked to to make decisions. And should you be in the chat brings up a good point. He feels like we're Alpha Node's hired thug. And I, I felt like that that was definitely the case in A Realm Reborn. In A Realm Reborn, yeah, I could kind of agree with that there. Now it mm -hmm. kind of feels like I guess we're equals. And, and yeah. Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah. We're sort of on the same plateau. Uh, so we start this journey to kind of parlay with the dragons who um bring about peace before any fighting comes so we the first i believe the first dragon i believe we talked to is vidofnir female dragon in uh the dravanian forelands correct mm -hmm. and if we've learned anything about the dravanian forelands and annex trine and the durgans there one they're horrible parents they're two they, they're almost as bad as the Mughals um, because of the quest they give you. They're almost as bad. They're not as bad. Uh, Hell, even Vidofnir asks you to do something. If you can... And she wants us to get Ravana out the way. The Nath. The Lord hmm. of the Nath. So we have to go fight Ravana. And there, I feel like there wasn't really a lot. They didn't leave a lot of lore on Ravana. He, it was kind of in our way. I mean, how did you feel about Ravana? I was pretty disappointed um, about the lore behind both of the new primals. To be honest, mm -hmm. um, we've been being told since like November that you know, oh, everything you know about the primals, they can be different, they can be bigger, they can be better, they can have their own sort of character and motivations. And yeah, I mean, we saw that with, with Shiva, we saw that with Thornton and the Knights of the Round. Um, I was expecting, and, and anyone who watched my super early videos on, on Ravana and Bishmark mm -hmm. knew that I was expecting something a little bit more nuanced, a little bit more complicated from these primals, but they, they kind of just seem the same as, you know, Ifrit, Titan, and Garuda, really. Yeah, with Ravana, uh, he was that kind of primal. He was kind of reminiscent of Ramu, where he's just mm. there. You you just make a wager with him. He's just he's just there to test your strength, which he does. Mm. Um, he ends up fighting Shiva first, and then you're next. And mm. of course, he handles Shiva for reasons mm. reasons. But yeah, he was just that primal who. Really, he's not the same as Ramu. Ramu just didn't, as long as you didn't bother um, the Sylphs or his land, you were fine. Ravana's mm. just, he's just a bug Irishman. He just wants to fucking fight. He just wants well, to he's fight. he's coming him. after everyone. Yeah. Um, he is Genghis Khan. I mean, down, down to the throat singing. I know there's a lot of, um, <laughs> a lot of sort of, you know, it's a lot of sort of Russian feeling in, in, in that fight and in that music. Mm -hmm. But um, I was looking at Ravana and the way he was sort of acting through those cutscenes. I was like, all right, this dude's Genghis Khan. And then I heard like the, the Mongolian throat singing and I was like, here we go. <laughs> the Mongolians, they're, they're, they're the Khans. Awesome. I'll so party he, with that. So he's a conqueror primal, basically. Yeah, that's what he's all about. The, the, the Nath have um, 
summoned him as a means of extending their territory. Um, he wants to, he sort of, he sort of says something basically along the lines of that he's going to take over the whole world and anyone that stands in the way is going to kill or enslave. And, and that's what they're about. Hmm. Um, and that's why presumably uh, Una Kalhai thinks that he's after the warring triad. Um, as a sort of means to that same end. And if y'all don't know the name Uno Calhai, if you've done um, EX Primals, Uno Calhai is the little one in the mask, the little dude in the mask that you see. We're going to talk about him later because we kind of have some theories about who Uno Calhai may be or what Uno Calhai may be. So we got some pretty interesting theories there. But you take out Ravana. You don't really take him out, but he accepts your uh, terms of the wager, and he um, will leave leave you alone. So you go to Vidafnir, go through um, the area, I believe, and you get to the Churning Mist, where we, one, do Moogle's Ward. <laughs> Good old Moogle's Ward. And then, two, we end up meeting with uh, Race Falger. Now, this is where really it got interesting for me in terms of mm -hmm. um, definitely character progression for Iceheart. Because we learn, we learn about who the original Shiva shacked up with. And we all thought, like, a lot of us theorized in the past that it was Midgard Summer. No, it was Race Falger. Um, the background... Um, from Race Volger himself was that Shiva, her and Race Volger fell in love. Um, she had some, I believe, some sort of sickness, and she would die soon. Um, so it wasn't about it wasn't about having a sickness. It was about the the sort of difference between their lifespans. Uh, the fact that um, it was natural causes, basically. Yeah, they 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 used the metaphor that the life of an Elizan to, to a dragon was like a, a rose blooming and then withering um, within a couple of days. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what it was about. It was the idea that she was going to grow old and she was going to die um, within, you know, a, a, a millisecond of his lifespan and that he was going to be left for all eternity sort of mourning for her. So the solution that she came up with was that race Volger consume her. Mm. Which I thought was really interesting. And of course he didn't agree to it at first, but he bended to her will sort of kind of, and eventually it did happen. But this is where we find out that the, that ice heart is summoning the idea of Shiva. Not Shiva herself, but the idea of Shiva. And it was really big to me because I know everybody thought, wait, Shiva's fake. Well, Iceheart's fake. The Shiva we, we know, we've come to know and love is fake. But no. When we talked about this uh, a little while, a while back, like this past weekend, it's the idea of what Shiva is. Like, when when, um, Iceheart 
when we first fight Shiva for the first time, when we first fight Iceheart for the first time, um, her heretics gathered all the crystals, and when we fight her, she becomes Shiva. Literally, like, finding this out, we know that she becomes her idea of Shiva. Uh, Race Volger uh, pretty much nips it in the bud that he, he go ahead and, ahead and says it, you're not Shiva. You're not the Shiva I know. And what did you think about that? Um, I, it was exactly what I was expecting. I was really glad to have a, have a confirmation of it. As um, Ninzad says in chat, yes, that is the case with all primals, um, is that you, you have an idea of something that might be historical or a part of your, your kind of local myth and legend. Um, you have a strong enough idea of it and enough people sort of concentrating their will on this idea through prayer or, or whatever it is we want to call it, um, that it creates this sort of ethereal coalescence and gives birth to this soul, which is a, sort of a simulacrum or, or a copy um, based on the idea of, of, of what it is that the original person or thing is. So the fact that Shiva, uh, sorry, the fact that Iceheart has the echo and has this really kind of, you know, fairly complicated, nuanced idea of what Saint Shiva was mm -hmm. means that what, what is produced is, is very similar in, in character and in motivation, but is not the same thing. It, it is literally just a, it's a copy. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, that's the case with all primals. That's been as good as confirmed by, by, um, by Tiamat, uh, and by Horace Velga, because we now know that Bahamut was, um, was exactly the same case. So in a way, all primals are ideas, all ideas or beliefs mm -hmm. that people or the, um, the tribes bring into manifestation. Yeah, so the, the act of summoning is rather than calling it something and sort of bringing it here, it's, a, it's an act of creation. Mm -hmm. Okay, so from that, um, going back to the whole flashback with Race Volger, after um, Shiva is consumed, there's a peace for about 200 years, two, two centuries. Um, and then something happens with something happens to kind of be the catalyst of the Dragon Song War. What is it that happens? What's well, the Asians? Of course, it's always the Asians. Uh, <laughs> the the, the Asians come to Thorin and they take him aside and um, they teach him of the the sort of origins and, and metaphysics and the way that dragons work. Um, so the dragon's eye is, um, it's kind of like the Tupsamati or like Dalamud, it's this uh, ethereal battery, um, which over time absorbs ether from the land and the air and, and everything around it um, and steadily grows more and more powerful as time goes on. So the older a dragon is, the more ether that this eye is going to contain and the more powerful the dragon is subsequently going to be. So the, um, the children of Midgard Zorno, obviously they've been around for almost as long as time um, and their eyes have this incredible capacity of ether. And um, the Asians say to Thor, and you can have that power. You can 
kill that dragon, you can eat its eyes, and you will surpass the limits of, of human power. You will, you will become something superhuman. Um, so eventually, Thornton concedes, and he conspires with his 12 closest knights to um, lure in Ratatoska, who's the sister of uh, Horace Velger and, and Nidhogg, and is uh, one of the children of Midgard Sorma. Um, so they lure her in, and they kill her, and they pull out both of her eyes, and they just sort of eat them there and then in this uh, bloody spectacle. And um, Nidhogg is the first to learn of it and is driven completely mad by rage and grief and attacks them. And he kills Thordon and, and a handful of the other knights before um, Thordon's son, Haldrath, manages to kill Nidhogg and takes not one but both of his eyes, which... Um, which we didn't learn until much later. We, we always thought that Nidhogg had been left with one eye and that the Holy See was in possession of the other. Um, and that was a, what, I felt like that was a kind of a pivotal moment too when you learn the truth mm. about Nidhogg's eyes after fighting Nidhogg. Um, mm. You learned about the whole, not really fake eye, but it wasn't his to begin with. It was race foggers mm. and he, mm. he was technically left blind. Hmm. So, I thought that so was this is this is the sort of great guilt and great sin of uh, Freyce Valga, is that Nidhogg uh, will die very quickly without his eyes, and he he manages to get back to Freyce Valga, and he says to him, uh, basically explains his intention not to destroy these Ishgardians, not to sort of just take his revenge, but to spend the rest of time slowly torturing them and their children and their children's children in this endless uh, sort of siege and this endless uh, torture. And he says that in, in order to do that, he needs, well, he obviously needs to survive and he needs a measure of Horace power and he subsequently needs one of Horace eyes. And um, Horace despite himself, concedes to that. So he is um, his accessory to what it is that Nidhogg has been doing. And he wouldn't admit that to us um, forthwith because he was trying to place the guilt uh, entirely upon men and he was obviously um, uh, in denial. So you feel like, because I didn't, I didn't catch on to that, that mm. Brace Volger was kind of holding something back. Um, you feel like he was trying to pass the buck on straight, strictly Nidhogg? No, he was trying to place it strictly on on man and um, conceding that what Nidhogg was doing was was terrible and um, and should be stopped if it was within our power mm -hmm. um, and that he wasn't going to interfere, but that ultimately it was Thornton and his knights that were responsible for Nidhogg's madness, which is which is true as as accessories of the assets. So with the, um, the quote-unquote power that the knights obtain, um, we find out that they're able to transform into, um, well, through an earlier cutscene, but they're able to transform into something beyond what they are. And we learned this through the actual Thornton fight as well. Um, can you kind of explain what that transformation is? Because... Again, I, I kind of got the feeling that underneath the armor and everything, there was 
something monstrous within there. We don't know what it is, but what what was up with the transformation? Okay, so we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. It's not it's not the original twelve knights that are capable of that transformation. It's the heavens ward of thought and the seven. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what's basically happening there is. Um, as we know, after Nidhogg is killed, uh, the surviving knights kind of split Ishgard among themselves mm-hmm. and, um, and decide that they're going to build this new history and that they're going to let this, this sort of dark and sordid past dissolve. And um, they create this new founding myth of, of Thornton being a, a prophet of Halone, leading, uh, leading the, the promised land of Curthus. Um, and Thornton and his 12 knights become saints, effectively. Um, so they become um, objects of worship. They become the center of the, the sort of Halone uh, Thornton cult and the center of the, the Orthodox Church of Ishgard. Um, and as we know, what happens when you're praying to an idol or a deity for long enough, this same sort of ethereal coalescence takes place and you have... Not a primal, but a potential primal, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. So basically, the, the, the only thing that's missing is the, the store of ether and the, uh, the sort of summoning ritual. Um, so Thornton the Seventh is the one that, that realizes how this has sort of incidentally happened over the past millennium. And, um, and he accepts the... Uh, the sort of help of Elidibus in, in teaching him and teaching the, the heavens ward how to make this transformation and how to make themselves avatars of the, the sort of primal images of the 12 knights and of King Thornton. Um, so that, that's the transformation that we're looking at when, when the heavens ward are transforming into the, the knights of the round, um, both, both earlier and, and during the fight with Thornton, they're, they're becoming primals effectively. And... What of the, um, going back a little, what of the heretics? Um, because we did see the heretics as transform as well. Not into mm. sort of these knightly creatures that we know from the knights, but essentially they became dragons. Mm. See, that's, that's an interesting point. And this is um, the, the same sort of intellectual point by which uh, the, the sort of lower classes of Ishgard will be able to overthrow the Ancien regime is that um, each of the knights that consumed part of Ratatoska's eyes uh, ingested a part of her essence. And that essence is, uh, is sort of passed on genetically. Their children have uh, a sort of little bit of Ratatoska in them and their children's children and so forth. And as it turns out, uh, every Elzin in Ishgard is in this same boat. They're actually all directly descended from the 12 knights. So we've got quite a quite an incestuous civilization here. Um, but what, what happens is um, when they drink the blood of a dragon, it sort of infuses within it, awakens this essence um, and causes it to sort of blossom. Um, and they're sort of consumed by this sort of draconic spirit and they eventually become, you know, physically mindless servants of, of Nidhogg. So Nidhogg's main strategy through the war is not sort of wasting his own power and wasting his own 
uh, sort of forces and, and dragons on the Ishgardians. It's in capturing and converting Ishgard's own children and um, transforming them in this way against Ishgard. So the, the bulk of Nidhogg's forces are actually transformed Ishgardians that are being sent to, you know, kill their own children. So he's um, turn, basically turning Ishgard against itself. Fighting exactly. without fighting, basically. Okay. And I thought that was really interesting how really they the Dravanian horde wasn't really wasn't completely Dravanians themselves. It was Ishgardians. It we're fighting against our own people. We're fighting uh, against not. And I thought for a second that um, these were people. These were. It kind of confused me at first because I thought they were, um, you know, Ishgardians, kind of in the same way um, as the cultists or the heretics were to um, Ysail, which they are. The, the, the heretics end up becoming uh, dragons themselves. They, mm-hmm. Those are the ones who are kind of not trying to bring about the peace. They're kind of loyal to the Dravanians to a, to a certain extent. And we find that out um, once we get back, once we get back to Ishgard itself, it's under attack. And it's under attack from the heretics themselves. And then we have to get in between both parties, both the the Knights of Ishgard and the heretics to kind of bring about the peace. And this is after, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, this is after uh, Nidhogg. Lady, um, Lady Iceheart is able to talk down the heretics and say, a peace has been reached. Nidhogg is no more. And they kind of seem dejected. Did, did, did you kind of get that from them? That they seemed a little bit dejected that there's peace? They were confused. Um, the thing is, the, the heretics, they believe in, in Iceheart and they, they believe in her sort of mission and her motivations. They're being used by Nidhogg and she's being used by Nidhogg um, because it's a really easy way for him to convert people and, and turn them against Ishgard. She's sort of doing the hard work for him. Um, and she wants peace, but um, as we saw when, when she broke the first ward uh, for, the, the, uh, for Vishap and his, uh, his dragon stand to Ishgard, um, she was expecting that they were going to go in and they were going to basically kill all the leaders of the high houses and just end the war. And then, you know, the lower class could sort of take over and rebuild. They didn't care. They were just, they were just going for everyone indiscriminately. Um, and that was something that, that she wasn't banking on. And that was something that she was quite naive about because she thought that Nidhogg wanted to win the war. He thought, she thought he wanted to end it. She thought that there was an end game, um, and as we found out later, there obviously wasn't. So um, the war is kind of still ongoing, even even with this "quote unquote" peace, this temporary peace um, that we have with um, the again "quote unquote" eradication of Nidhogg. Yeah, I, it's interesting. So, so 
I'm wondering what is going to happen with the heretics because they don't have a leader. Um, they're you sort find of, out later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, sort of, they're sort of up for grabs. They don't, they don't have Iceheart with them anymore. Mm -hmm. They're still presumably dissenting against uh, Ishgard, but they might be coming to realize some idea of the true origins of the war and what it is that Nidhogg has been doing to them. Um, I can't help but wonder which side they're going to end up on, whether they're going to keep fighting for Nidhogg, whether they're going to turn against him, uh, whether they're going to try to summon Shiva again. Um, yeah, I think that's definitely an interesting one. But yes, as, as we know, with Estinian turning to Nidhogg, Nidhogg is back at his full power. Um, so Nidhogg Extreme is going to be a thing. And um, You honestly think there will be a Nidhogg Extreme? We're going to have to deal with him sooner or later, aren't we? And he's got two eyes now rather than just one, so he's twice as powerful. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was really sort of um, disheartening, that transformation, even, even though we, I think most of us saw it coming, is the, the fact that we really were back to square one, the war was back on, mm -hmm. and um, we didn't really have any sort of immediate plan to deal with it. Do you, do you have any theories about how we might go about um, resolving that, whether, whether we can defeat Nidhogg, whether or Estinian can be saved? I believe we're going to find a way to save Estinian. I think mm. we're going to come to the conclusion that it's impossible and we're eventually going to have to take him down. Now, mm. whether we can remove the eyes uh, once more and bring Estinian back to himself, uh, it's kind of opened up for discussion right now, but I don't think it's going to happen. It's going, it's, it's going to be a fool's errand, basically. We're just going to go... Um, Go about doing these quests to try well not really quest but to um on this mission to try and save Estine and I think that'll be Alpha Nodes um championing that cause to mm. but he was with us before we want him back. I can't mm. Alpha, I feel like Alpha Node's gonna feel like he's lost an, yet another scion in mm. uh losing Estinian and he wants to bring him back but it's a fool's errand. I, we're gonna have to fight. We're gonna have to deal with him. I agree with you there, but it's we're not getting Estinian back. I don't think we are. Do you want him back? <laughs> that is a uh, that's a loaded question. That's a really yeah, loaded is. question. Look, I'll, I'll how about this? I'll answer. Okay. First. I don't want him back. I think he's a douchebag. <laughs> Even as a fellow goon, you don't want him back. Never liked him. He, he steals my kills. He takes all the glory. Um, and are you talking he, about? Are you talking about that one instance? Yeah, I'm talking about that one instance. And he's lazy. <laughs> he hasn't he hasn't even upgraded his relic once. <laughs> like he thinks he thinks he's so fucking good, and he's there in his uh, you know in his AF gear with his 180 weapon and going, oh yeah, I beat Nidhogg. Now fuck off. <laughs> Didn't so, do anything. So you don't want him back. You don't want him back at all. Just strictly. Just because well, he's a douchebag. Yeah. <laughs> he's a yeah, he's an Under Armour douchebag. That's what you're saying. Yeah, he's a he's a scrub.
we we hard carried him through the area and wow um, you heard it first ladies and gentlemen we carried astidian <laughs> wait, wait wait first we defeated him we defeated him and we carried him mm-hmm. so we carried him in the nidhogg fight basically he he did nothing. yeah he held the eye he yeah. that's what he did he held the eye. Yeah, he's a joke. I mean, he's got he's got two fucking hands. He doesn't he doesn't need two hands to hold the eye. He could have done some poking, but he goes, "Oh no, this needs all my attention holding this this thing." <laughs> nah, he's a joke. I'll agree that I don't want him back, but not for that reason. <laughs> not for that reason. Um. So going like going to the um because you are the lore person. And mm. we've talked about several dragons. We talked about Horace Falger. We talked about Nidhogg. Mm. We talked about Ratatoskr. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you hear the Norse origins in their names. Can you kind of mm-hmm. go into a little bit more uh, perspective on on the, where they get the lore from these um, names from? Sure. Um, and, and this is actually one that I probably should have um, guessed and, and speculated about when we first found out that Nidhogg was going to be the antagonist. So I think most people will be familiar with um, the concept in, in Norse mythology of Yggdrasil or um, the world tree. Mm-hmm. So basically we have this, this giant ash tree which is the, the cosmos and the, the heavens are among the, the sort of highest canopies and um, our world is sitting on top of one of the branches as is all the other worlds that make up uh, the, the universe. Um, so Nidhogg, uh, basically sits below the tree, gnawing on the roots. And, um, it's this sort of area that's, that's sort of the deepest pit of hell that's reserved for, you know, murderers and, um, and adulterers and liars and whoever else it is that the Germans hate. Um, and he, he consumes them. He, he slowly eats them. So he has this very kind of, um, I guess, neo-satanic uh, sort of vibe to him in Norse mythology. Uh, then you have Hreisvalga, and this, this is actually a, a sort of misconflation by Square Enix in, in a lot of ways. But basically you have this giant eagle that sits at the very top of the world tree. And this eagle is unnamed in, in the sources that speak of it, uh, the, the poetic editor and the prose editor. Um, but there's another, there's another giant in Norse mythology called Hreisvelga, which transforms itself into this giant eagle and is often conflated in sort of popular culture with this eagle that sits on top of the world tree. So for the sake of, um, of the metaphor, that's, that's what we have. And Ratatoska, who uh, is the the sister of Nidhogg and Hreisvelga that, uh, that Thor and his, and his knights eat, um, is this little squirrel, this little gossip-mongering squirrel that sort of runs backwards and forwards all day up and down the tree carrying messages between the two. Um, so that's sort of an interesting tie-in. And it also, I think it also gives a lot more sympathy to Ratatoska sort of setting her up as this... Um, as this really sort of fragile and, and innocent little kind of creature. You know what I mean? Dragon squirrel? Yeah, dragon squirrel. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So I, I, I had a lot of kind of natural sympathy for Ratatoska 
uh, first hearing her name mm -hmm. and finding what happened to her, just based on that imagery, uh, which I think is, you know, the kind of thing that Square Enix is throwing at us all the time. And I, I really appreciate that stuff. I think it's great. So in a way, do you kind of feel like Ratatoskr, what message was she sending? Like, what message do you feel like she was, if we're going to go off that kind of lore, what message do you feel like she was sending? Do we feel that she was sending a particular message between the two of them? Yes. No, I, I think I think the implication is more that she's like, she's like the, the little sister. You know what I mean? Um, is that they are the ones that, that sort of command and, and they're the ones that have the authority. And she's just you know, some, some innocent little thing that just happens to be a terrifying monster. And, um, you know, when you, when you hear about Nidhogg being killed and, and, and having his eyes eaten, you sort of think, yeah, well, you know, Nidhogg is this great big disgusting fucking dragon that eats corpses for all eternity. Um, doesn't really affect you in the same way, if you know what I mean. Right. So, with our story right now, we know of five dragons yes yes the so we've got, spoke of seven and go yes. ahead we've got at the moment we've got um now we should talk about this briefly bahamut um we were all speculating before heaven's war that bahamut was going to be one of the children then we got that that little poster mm -hmm. of midgard zorma surrounded by his seven children and people saying well bahamut's not on that so bahamut's obviously not, not one of the children um but we have uh, Horace Valga and Tiamat both referring to Bahamut as their brood siblings. So we know that he is, in fact, one of the children of Midgard's armor. And Tiamat. my, yes, yeah, yeah. And, and Tiamat's um, mate, effectively. Free Tiamat. Um, yeah. And um, my working theory at the moment is that in that poster, we have an image of the original Bahamut and what he originally looked like mm -hmm. that isn't quite the same as what he looks like when he's summoned as a primal in the same way that we, we sort of see what, uh, what, um, St. Shiva looks like at least mm -hmm. from behind. And she's not some ice monster. Shiva, the person, Shiva, the primal, they do look, you know, they, they, they have some resemblances, you know, they have the same sort of shape. Um, but they are, you know, they're different. So we have Bahamut, we have Tiamat, we have Freysvelga, we have Nidhogg, we have Ratatoska. That leaves two. Um, we can be fairly certain that at least one of those is going to be Shinryu. Definitely, given 100%. That, given that we have the whole, um, the whole thread with Omega, mm -hmm. which they're putting off further and further and further. But eventually Omega is going to show up and Shinryu is going to be chasing him down. Right. And that leaves us, that leaves us with one. Um, and I don't think we've had any breadcrumbs left for what that one could be. I might be missing something. No, Shinjima, it's not Vishap. That uh, was explained as one of the lieutenants. A lesser of dragon. Yeah. Sort yeah. of a lesser dragon. So, with this one, who do you think it's going to be? Because honestly, I think it's going to be Yasna. Yasmat. Um, mm. I think it's going to be Yasmat, and if you um, go back to Final Fantasy, uh, what was it, 12, where we kind of fought Yasmat as, like, one of the later bosses, um, the bit of lore that we get uh, with Yasmat 
is one deity among dragons, one great worm to rule all the worms of the world. Now, I know Yasmat can't be put in that position because we already have Midgard Tormer. But I think... He could have it, aspirations. He could have aspirations. But my theory, the working theory I have with Yasmat is that Yasmat's going to be the one to break Tiamat out. That's just my theory right now. I, I really, I really, in my heart and heart, it's also says say that we're going to get Tiamat free somewhere in the future. She doesn't want to be free she right now. She doesn't want it. She wants to kind of atone for what uh, all she's done. Um, but I think... Yeah, you really think that's going to change? Yes. Uh, after 5,000 years, you think that's going to change in the next couple of months? Yes, I think so. I, th I wouldn't say what, the next couple of months. What, what will it take? There's got to be a reason that we need her. There's got to be some sort of great need that she sort of puts her own kind of selfish self-pity aside. Um, what do you think it would take? It would take, it would honestly take everything to kind of escalate. And I think, I feel that Nidhogg's going to be the one to es bring everything to this escalated level later on in 3.0. Not, mm. not anytime soon. But mm. we will have a need for Tiamat. We will have a need for Tiamat, and we will. She will be on our side. We will not fight Tiamat. She will be on our side. Um, well, that's interesting. Nid Nidhog, um, uh, Tiamat, rather. When we encounter her, she does sort of speak of this um, this real tragedy that the war between man and dragon is still going, and they're still fighting after five thousand years, and that's that's a a big, big weight on her. So maybe stopping Nidhogg and subsequently breaking this cycle could be motivation enough for her to sort of find a new lease on life. Um, but I don't know. I don't, I don't really see it happening. I gotta say. So who do you think the last, who do you think the last dragon's going to be? I don't know. I think, I think it could be Yasmat. I think it's um, quite likely to be Fafnir. Hmm. Um, Why Fafnir? <sighs> no reason really, other than that. Uh, in the um, in the poster we were given, there's a, a dragon among them who we haven't seen yet, who looks very much like um, like Fafnir from Final Fantasy VI. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and and Fafnir, there's a lot of really interesting things you could do with him story wise, uh, drawing on the the Norse myth. He's um he's basically Smaug uh, from from the Hobbit. Um, he is dealt with by um, uh, the Ring Cycle, um, Richard Wagner's Ring Cycle. If for anyone who's familiar with that, um, so he's a human that's sort of tempted with this great hoard of treasure and sort of takes it, and in his greed becomes this dragon that sort of eternally guards this treasure until he's eventually slayed by the, the hero Siegfried. Um, so I think there's some interesting things you could do there. Um, Shin, I'll, I'll link the poster in the, in the post show for you if you can't find it. Um, so yes, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm absolutely sure we're going to get Shinryu. As for the other one, that's, that's totally up in the air. I don't have any strong theories yet. Do you think there are any curveballs they can throw? I mean, we could, like, Shinryu seems really, really likely. Is there mm. anyone else that could possibly replace Shinryu? Because they, they could really throw a curveball and not even, I mean, if we're going to have Omega Weapon, we have to have Shinryu, but Square likes to change things up. They 
obviously that changes things up a bit every now and then. Is there a placeholder for Shinryu that's possible? I mean, we, we're kind of running out of dragons at this point. Major Final Fantasy dragons. Do you think they would introduce a new? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think in order for that to happen, we'd have to have the sort of... Um, the sort of curveball that Shinryu is not actually a dragon. Shinryu is something else that's coming after Ultima. Uh -huh. um, yeah, I don't know. Don't 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 have any theories on that, do you? <laughs> no, it's just it's just a thought in the back of my head because some there are some things that we get spot on. There are some things that Square Enix just throws a curveball, and we did not see it coming. Mm. I I want I really want to believe Shinryu is going to be that dragon because of Omega Weapon. It's it's mm. too obvious. It's way too obvious for it to be something else. So that's why you're you're so suspicious because it's yeah, like it's too I'm easy. really <laughs> suspicious about what what they do to story in terms of the changes they make. That happens to me a lot actually when when I'm sort of thinking about story and I come up with a theory I'm like, "Nah, no, that's too easy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not going to be." Um and sometimes it is. Usually it is. Sometimes it's not. Um I think it's going to be Shinryu, I got to say. Although, if you want a bit of a curveball, I guess, in a way, something that I was talking about before Heaven's Ward, that I, I thought the, um, the Imperials were going to be the force that united Man and Dragon, ultimately, um, in the same way that the Imperials were the force that united the, um, the Aeorzean Alliance. So we got way, way, way back, uh, turn one, we get down into the, the first coil mm -hmm. and um, eventually we come across um, Neuralinks. And uh, Alizé makes this point that, as we know, the Galleons are, are, are trying to annex the coil. They're trying to you know, salvage what they can. If they find out that Neuralinking is a thing, that they can control dragons, they are going to go for that where they're going to throw everything they've got at it. We see something very similar happening in Azus Law. We know that Azus Law has the, the technology to, to bind primals in the same way as the Warring Triad and, um, and Bahamut. But we also have all of these facilities for controlling dragons and neuralinking dragons and creating these chimeric monstrosities out of dragons. They're going to discover that. Um, that is going to seriously worry the dragons because they have some very fresh memories of Mericidia. Um, that might be enough to motivate Tiamat to mm -hmm. do something about her sorry state. And I think um, it's not going to be enough to turn Nidhogg. We're still going to have to deal with Nidhogg. But it might be enough to turn all the people that are supporting him against him and towards the Imperials. And we'll see this united front of man and dragon that's going to... Uh, push back the imperial threat. Okay, so we've dived in a lot on uh, the Trevanians, all the Durgans. Um, mm. I want to kind of go back to the primals because we touched on Ravana. Uh, we there's we have Bismarck, but in terms of 3.0 and the primals themselves, Yoshi was saying that uh, the primals could be more you know, different, more complicated. What did you think of the primals in terms of their personalities? Because honestly, I thought the primals didn't really have a lot of personality. I mean, if if anything, um, Ravana had more personality than Bismarck. Bismarck was just a fucking mm. whale that just wanted to eat shit in the sky. Yeah, he was That's just a, a hungry whale. He was just a hungry ass whale. 
And yeah, and Ravana, he's he, like you said, he's the conqueror. He's the Genghis Khan primal. Um, mm. other, yeah, other than that, they just felt they didn't feel like the other primals. Um, in all honesty, and this is gonna sound kind of ridiculous, but I feel like Ifrit had a little bit more personality in Ravana. That might be taking it a step too far, but you kind of get what I'm saying. He didn't have a lot of personality. Mm. No, you're totally, you're totally right. They were both um, really two-dimensional. I want to give Yoshi the benefit of the doubt and not just call him a liar for making that claim and then not delivering. <laughs> so we know that each of them are um, aspected to do two different elements, right? Mm -hmm. And the implication that we're given by um, by Unakalai is that they can sort of absorb ether of these two types, and they can therefore uh, feed more uh, more productively. Um, they can grow more powerful, effectively, um, and that's that's all fine and dandy. But then we get Thornton absorbing Lahabrea and making a very very pointed and straight comments um on the lines that primals can consume any sort of ether right it doesn't matter what it is it can be an asian it can be a crystal it can be something from a, from the eye of a dragon it can be from the land it can be from the sky it can be out of people's heads um it, it really doesn't matter and that that's sort of interesting to me um, and I don't know whether that's because Thornton is not uh, of an elemental aspect. We've got some primals like him and uh, Bahamut and, um, and I suppose Odin that aren't um, sort of aspected any part of the elemental wheel. Does mm -hmm. that mean that they can absorb any kind of ether, whereas the elemental primals can only absorb the type that they're aspected to? And is that the difference between a primal and an icon? For instance, could that be what we're talking about? Yeah, I kind of get where you're going there. Um, yeah, I think we're gonna what we're gonna start to see with more primals if we when we get newer primals is you're gonna start to see them shy away from each primal having a specific you know el elemental ability to something mm. like where um, Bismarck has uh, wind, lightning, and water, and Ravana has earth and fire and but still we're kind of running out of elements we still yeah you, know, you can't really reuse all the elements we're, we're running out of well, stuff to give them i think i think you can reuse elements definitely um i'm i'm not of the thinking that there is one primal for each element and that's just like how mm -hmm. the cosmos works and you're you know summoning the 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 spirit of that element, and if Freet is the spirit of fire, I don't, I don't believe that. Um, I think you could have as many fire aspected primals as you want. I think Belias is probably going to be fire aspected or, or fire earth like Ravana or something similar. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess going back to the idea of primals being more interesting, more complicated, having a bit more background, thought in the Knights 12. I mean, that's definitely one instance. Yeah. But that's not really the primal having personality. That's the dude who's summoning the primal having personality and just happening to summon him into himself. Right. So in the same way that Iceheart has got a lot of character. I don't know if that really, that really counts, you know what I mean? 
<laughs> I get what you're saying. I, I get what you're saying in terms of Ice Heart. Um, but do you think we're going to kind of see more stoic primals, more, you know, I'm here, you know, I don't speak, I don't say anything, I'm just here to fuck shit up. Are we going to kind of see more of that in the future? I think we're going to keep seeing that until we start seeing more uh, instances of people using their own body as a vessel for a primal. Mm. Um, because the thing is, your primal, it's, it's an idea, right? right? And it needs to be a pretty broad and general idea. What, what the Asians are doing when they go to the beast tribes is they're taking the, the image of this, uh, you know, this deity, this, this old sort of god of theirs, and they're firing the beast tribe up and getting them into this really sort of aggressive and violent fervor towards, uh, you know, the allied states or towards the, the Galen invaders. So the primal that they produce is very sort of single track, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's all about, it's, it's just violence. That's sort of it in a nutshell. Um, and if you had... Uh, a group of beast tribes that sat down with like a really kind of complicated philosophical discussion about what it is that this this primal was and what it is that they wanted and they had this they all had this really clear idea of its motivations being kind of really complicated and nuanced and then they summoned it then we see an interesting primal but that's that's not what's happening that's not what the Asians are allowing to happen the closest we saw to that is Ramu where the Asians sort of tried to produce this really aggressive primal, but the sylphs are so disinclined to, to violence that it sort of worked a little bit differently, but kind of not at the same time, you know what I mean? Right, so do you think um, that the, the, method of, the method of summoning uh, kind of, you, you, you get what you put in? Is it, does it kind of work like that with, um, Shiva? yeah, it's, it's literally, you, you get what you wish for. It is literally that, because it's that simple. You had like with Shiva, with Iceheart, you had a bunch of heretics with, um, I guess this quote unquote mindset, um, mm. that just summoned, just, um, put all these crystals into play, just gathered all these crystals and then they got Shiva from Iceheart, um, with, I don't want to go too far ahead with Alexander yet. We'll talk about Alexander way down the line. We need we need to get a little bit more FaceTime with Alexander because right now I'm skipping scenes. I'm just going to be totally honest. Um, <laughs> but I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah, I don't want to spoil any. We're most not, of the chat haven't seen too much. Yeah, so we're not going to talk about Alexander just yet. We'll we'll say that for a future episode. But um, yeah, the Vanu. It, I felt mm. like a lot was missing in terms of how Bismarck was summoned with the Banu. It, I, that kind of confused me there with um, he's just there. The original mm. wasn't a summon, even though in that fight you do see Banu there. I mean, what did you think about yeah, that? that I, found, I found that pretty interesting. I mean, from both of the new beast tribes, we do get an account of this, this mythological figure. The Vanu have got this idea of this, you know, this flying whale that used to live in the sea and is sort of constantly pining to, to return there. Um, we didn't see the summoning. I assume that the summoning must have already happened. Yes. Um, but the, the interesting thing is we didn't really have any explicit Asian involvement with the Vanu Vanu 
or the um, the Nath. And we had Uno Kalhai later telling us that he didn't think that the Asians actually inspired these summonings. Um, I don't know if I believe him. I'm not convinced that Uno Kalhai is not himself an Asian or somehow in league with the Asians. But it's it's an interesting point that the, the motivations for these summonings do seem to be slightly different and we know nothing about them. And while we're on the subject of Uno Kalhai, want to talk about that for a minute. Because sure. after we after we get through story and everything and we um want to do our ex quest we have to talk to uno cowhide mysterious little creature he's he's a dude he's a dude basically I, well i think he is but we don't know exactly what he is he kind of looks along the lines of an Asian, but he i don't think he is i don't think he's in league with the Asians. um what are your theories on what Unakalhai is, who he is aligned with, and what is his purpose? Because I have a, I think we kind of have the same theory on this one. Yeah, I think I think we have similar ideas, and um, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I'm pretty sure Mister Happy thinks he's an Alligan, um, mm -hmm. which I think is pretty pretty compelling. Being yeah. some kind of elegant clone, I think that's really interesting. Um, yeah, he, uh, as Gisela says, he might be a lackey of Lidibus. He might even be sort of a reborn La Habrea or something like that. In the way that we get, you know, the little reborn Midgard Stormer. I don't think, I don't think that that's going to be it, but that's a possibility. I'm willing to concede that that's a possibility. But the um, La Habrea pos possibility? Yes, I mean it's possible. So soon? It's possible. I don't want it. I don't want it to be possible, but it is possible. Well, I don't um, think, go ahead. I'll no, 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 you go. I don't think it's possible. I mean, it, I don't think it's even a possibility for him to be La Habrea coming back so soon. Mm. Um, yeah, it would be very sudden. Yeah. Maybe, maybe even uh, Nabriales or something like that. Right. Um, but I think, I think the possibility is definitely there that he's either an Asian or sort of a, a, a kind of juvenile, somehow survived, reborn Asian. Um, Shinjima makes a good point. He's he's hiding his face. He's hiding his eyes. That is something that a uh, an Alligan would do. Um, it's something obviously. Well, it's something obviously that an Asi would do. It's something that an Alligan would do. It's something that a Garlean would do. You know, he could be a Garlean. That could be one of the reasons why he has privy knowledge of um, of Azislar and 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 the sort of you know working knowledge that the the Gal lands have of Allegan Tech, he, he could be another Garland. Um That's a possibility. Um, what what do you think? What do you think is the most likely, Sly? Honestly, the Allegan perspective is the mm. most likely. Um, yeah, I agree with that. We, ha we haven't seen a lot from the Allegans in um, now that we are in quote-unquote Allegan territory, a.k.a. as is law, we're going to kind of mm. kind of start to see more involvement from and or a few Allegans. I don't think Unakalha mm. is the only one. We're going to see mm. more. It, that is if he is Allegan. Mm. Um, Giselle, you're right that um, Unakalha in the, the Serpentis constellation uh, refers to the, the two stars that make up the serpent's eyes. And that's, that's an mm. interesting image. And that's a very kind of... Um, 
I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. It, you've, you've got all that imagery that's sort of attached to a snake and a snake's eyes, um, which sort so of makes we... him seem like some kind of secret antagonist or he has some kind of uh, poisonous agenda. Um, but yeah, I really don't know. If we want to go that far, do you want to say that he is in league with a Dravanian? I, I had this thought, um, again, talking about Fafnir and how Fafnir in Norse mythology was originally a human that was transformed into a dragon, mm -hmm. that maybe, uh, maybe this Unakalhai is actually uh, one of the dragons taking human form. Maybe it's Fafnir taking human form and, um, and wanting to help us and wanting to sort of forward our, uh, our own agenda without sort of playing his hand. Yeah, I just, like, with that, with the whole symbolism, I just feel like the possibility of him being in league with one of the remaining dragons kind of can come into play. Even though I think, I really think the Alligan um, theory is a little bit more... Um, yeah, I agree with that. ...believable. Um, mm -hmm. So, one thing that we did kind of touch on here there um, that I want to kind of talk about now is the Garlean presence. We didn't see a lot of the Garlean presence until right at the end. And we kind of got a few revelations too. Um, well, not really like game-breaking revelations, but this was a small one for me. Um, Lucia. That's the first one I want to talk about. Hmm. Uh, Lucia is the sister of Livia Saz Junius. And you could like you kind of got the, you kind of could get that from the Magitek armor that she uses. First off, why did she have the Magitek armor? When when I first saw that, I was going, oh god, it's Livia. Oh god, there's going to be a massive plot hole here because obviously it's only like a couple of years since since Livia disappeared and Lucy is supposed to be some long-serving knight. Um, I mean, that's obviously a, a Chekhov's gun of some, of some kind that's going to lead into something else. Right. Um, but, but at the moment, we don't really have anything for it, any context for it. It doesn't really have much significance at the moment. Yeah, I just, I really honestly thought that was, that kind of blew my mind. Because, um, yeah, like you said, we didn't hear from Livia for a while. Mm. And then mm. just uh, all of a sudden, hey, I'm a, I'm a Garlean. Mm. I, my mouth was a, a jar for about a few minutes, but <clears throat> going to the real Garlean threat and the um, their appearance in Az's Law. Uh, how much of Az's Law do you think they're going to annex? Because that ship is kind of the same size, if not bigger than the Agrius. I mean, they're mm. really trying to make some changes in the Az's Law, and what changes do you think they're going to make in Az's Law? Well, like I said before, I think the um, the sort of stakes for for much of the the Heavens Ward series moving forward is going to be based on the Garland's movements in Azizla. It's going to be what kind of facilities they can take control of and what kind of secrets that they will therefore um, be able to to start developing for themselves. I think that we might even, I haven't done this yet, but th this might be something interesting to do is 
if we actually go to Azaslar and look at the geography of the place and the proximity of uh, where they've landed and where they're kind of setting up and what, um, what facilities are nearby and what those facilities might do, those, are, those might be the things that we have to deal with first. Um, but I think ov obviously uh, uh, Galvis is going after the warring triad and he wants to discover how to um, sort of keep primals in, in this stasis and um, sort of destroy the cycle rather than having to defeat them over and over and over and over again. Um, similar thing to Dalmud, similar thing to Ultimate Weapon. Um, but... Like I said before, I think it's going to be coming across the dragon neuralinking technology that is really going to raise the stakes and is going to uh, give us a reason to sort of put our differences aside and um, turn to the real threat. Yeah, I so I think that's, that's where that's going. I kind of agree with you there, but here's one thing that kind of re really irks me about this. Mm. We have a new quote-unquote legatus. Mm. He's not Gaius. He is nowhere near no. Gaius. No, Gaius, Gaius was Darth Vader, and this guy is... I don't know, he's not even Count Dooku. I don't want to say... <laughs> it's like, what is he? It's, it's, I, hate, I hate to say it because um, the voice actor, he's a, he's a good voice actor. He has a good voice. He has a very interesting voice. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not sure that it was well cast. He just doesn't sound threatening. I mean, yeah, he's doing I, threatening things. He absolutely fucks up Shiva. And, um, you know, he, he's a more interesting fight than Gaius ever was. But there's just something about him that you just can't take seriously. Yeah, I just don't get the same level of threat that I did with Gaius. Donnie has it absolutely right. Seems more like a lapdog bodyguard. That's um, a good point. That's a really good he point. Doesn't, he doesn't have that that sort of aura of command and respect that Gaius had. And I put a lot of that down to the voice work, I gotta say. So you're blaming his less, his, um, less threatening nature from his voice. Well, I think, I think a lot of Gaius's character was in his voice. Mm -hmm. I gotta say, I think, I think he was fantastic. I mean, he even sounded like Darth Vader. I think he sounded a lot like Darth Vader. He sounded like Darth Vader. I mean, he had, he, sounded, that, he had that, you know, aura like Darth Vader, but he didn't sound like Darth mm. Vader. Mm. Yeah, and the bottle opener helmet. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of people have been noticing that he looks a lot like, um, oh, what's his name? The antagonist from uh, Final Fantasy IV. Not Cecil's brother. Not X Death, but um Yeah, right? It's just Golbez. Golbez, thank yeah, you. Gobez. Yes, Golbez. He, he, does he looks kinda, a lot like Golbez. He does kind of yeah. look like Golbez, but Golbez was huge, like big. He Golbez Yeah, Golbez was a lot bigger. He but I think small. it's interesting that um uh like Baelzar and um and Darnus, they had a bit more of a look like the like the judges. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I'm definitely getting a Golbez vibe from this one. I think it's interesting. We just got like a million people in the chat saying Golbez. <laughs> uh, thanks, guys. So, um, what can we do about the Garlean presence? What are we going to have to do about the Garlean presence? What are we going to have to do about the Gratian? 
Well, the Gratian, um, we, we get from the sightseeing log that what's actually happened to the Gratian is that all of the engines are just completely fucked. They're just all frozen over in like mixes thick of ice. Um, so the Gratian is very much grounded for now and they can probably pass that a couple of patches down before we need to start worrying about them having that operational again. So what we've got to do for now is to basically hold the line and stop the Garlands pushing much further. And we're at a huge advantage uh, given that we are, we're sort of tapped into the matrix. We, we've kind of, we kind of have some sort of communication with and control over the, uh, the defense systems of Azislaw. So I think that for the time being, we can probably let Azislaw defend itself um, but there is going to be soon a, a mounting sense of urgency. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. Do you have any theories there? We have Gilly. Gilly can defend as is law. <laughs> all the, all these, all the orbs will defend as is law by itself. Nah. Um, yeah, I don't know how we can. Yeah. I, I kind of feel like we'll just put Azizlaw in its state of self-defense. I mean, we had, mm. we, and kind of seriously, I think we will rely on quote-unquote Gilly and the rest of the, um, the orbs to kind of defend. What, but, did you, what did you think of that? They, they came across as really kind of cheesy and almost, um, almost claptrap. And yeah. um, just thinking back to like our early encounters with Allegan's defense systems in turn one and turn two and just how threatening they were, just how mindless and cold and threatening they were. I, I don't know. I felt like it was, the whole Gilly thing was a bit... Claptrappy? Yeah. Motorbot? Pretty much, in a word. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta say. Yeah, I, I, feel like, I feel like it was kind of... They kind of played down. They kind of played down Gilly to where he was just less threatening. He was more of comic relief, if we want to call mm. it. He, um, yeah, it, it doesn't feel like the coil we knew, where you had. And all the side quests, all the side quests in Azaslar are the same. They just feel kind of silly. Yeah, they they make they kind of personify uh, all the ADS spheres and everything. Kind of. Yeah, which doesn't them. doesn't seem like the Allegans. You don't think the Allegans would create these sort of quirky you know human like do you kind of think that's our fault with um wedge (laughs) bringing wedge in and just kind of letting him you know turn it into something we can relate to you kind of feel like it's our fault wedge gave it a name an agenda um but you speak to the other unnamed uh nodes around azaslar and they're all pretty similar they're pretty silly so as is law is just a weaker i wouldn't say weaker vo- version of coil because it's it's the same it's it's elegant influence so why would one why would one be heightened whereas the other the kind of i wouldn't say the source but this this is an elegant land this is an elegant inspired this is the elegant facility why would it not be just as threatening as all the ads's where coil was where everything was set up why wouldn't it be that threatening well the coils are they're they're warships they're they're mm-hmm. a group of warships 
packed into a ball with an elder primal at the center. It is a, a defensive structure. Azaslar, um, it's kind of a bit of both. Because you've got, you got a museum there. You've got, come look at all the wonderful sites of the Allegan Empire. <laughs> um, but directly above the museum, you've got the fucking Warring Triad. I don't know if they're literally there, but I presume that they are literally there. Um, and you've got a prison. You've got uh, like a biosphere, arbitorium sort of thing. So Azazelar is more like a, um, more like a city. Mm-hmm. And, and, and less like a, a sort of singular purpose sort of defense system like, um, like Dalamud was. So I guess, I guess you can sort of excuse it from that. But it, still, it did still bother me. Yeah, it kind of bothered me too. It just felt too personal. It, mm. it, that's the feeling I get from it. it. Yeah, it just felt so, it just felt so personal. They, they didn't feel threatening they didn't feel like lifeless automatons which is what i really expected them to be just lifeless automatons just there to just do a certain job defend mm. as is law no they just felt more relatable and i didn't mm. i really didn't like that um mm. now moving on to an, a subject that really got me got a lot of people thinking and there were a, probably the same like we probably got the same reaction um but the ending of of the current story what we see after the credits the warrior of darkness first off why are we on the fucking moon yeah ex- <laughs> why are we on the fucking moon <laughs> why is it derplander we don't and, need to be on the moon <laughs> yeah and that, yeah, we don't need to be on the moon. And why the fuck is it Derplander? The person we've been seeing in all these freaking cutscenes, I guess you can call him a placeholder. Most people call him Derplander. Why is it him? Why, of all things, did they choose Derplander? Is it literally, though? Is it literally Derplander? Do you think... It's his face! I don't think it is. It's his face! Yeah, it's his face. That's the face we've been seeing in all these, in all these trailers, all this game footage. Yeah, I don't think. And that's do you think that's that's precisely the point? I think. um, I think it's the equivalent of taking our character model Mm -hmm. and and putting it there. I think. I think it's a. It's sort of a narrative device. It's to demonstrate to us that this warrior of darkness is literally the flip side of the warrior of light. It is the equivalent. He has all of the things that we have. Um, But why didn't they use our personal character model? They could have used R to say, well, like that would have been more, maybe that would have been more reasonable. Maybe that would confuse people even further. And they go, oh shit, we're the warrior of darkness. What the hell? Maybe they want people to think, oh, is it actually one of the Warriors of Light? Not us, but one of the Warriors of Light that has mm-hmm. been turned? Or is it something else? And I think that it's a placeholder. I think that it's just demonstrating that it is the, the literal kind of equivalent. It's just the Zodiac side of the Heidelin Warrior. Because I, like, once I saw that, just gears were turning in my head. I was thinking back to everything that I've seen. Even went back and watched the disc that came with the collector's edition and all these trailers. Mm. And I'm thinking, is Square Enix setting us up? Is they, were they setting this up through all the trailers, through everything? Were they setting this particular moment up? Do you think they were setting it up? 
what what they would need to do is um, have conceded before in lore that there is more than one warrior of light. Mm-hmm. And they haven't really done that. They, I mean, the 1.0, they talked about the Warriors of Light. But since uh, defeating Ultima Weapon, they've only really talked about us in the singular. So if we'd escaped from Uldar with a party of other Warriors of Light, if, if we had it conceded that we were not the only one, then, yeah, they could definitely go with the possibility of one of these guys has the whole time been uh, batting for the other team. But, um, yeah, I don't think so. I really don't think so. It just... Of course it confused the shit out of us. That's what Square Enix is supposed to do. Confuse the Yeah, it was shit. another cheap shot. All right. It was a cheap <laughs> shot. I'll admit, a really good one. A really freaking good one. But um, do, you think, do you think that that image will change? Honestly, a part of me in the back of my head thinks it's going to change. It's not going to be Derplander. I think, I think it's going to shift towards us. Mm. It somehow, some way, the Asians will say, "This is you. This is something. This is what you could become. This is this is the opposite of what you are." Um, again, we have Highland. They have Zodiac. Um, this is our hero. How about how about this one for you? We know that Azisla has uh, synthesizing labs. They've synthesized mm-hmm. dragons. They've synthesized void scent. Mm-hmm. What, what if Elidibus got in there while we were stuffing around and synthesized us? Is that a possibility? How would they synthesize us? I don't know how do they synthesize how, how, anything. How do they synthesize like, Wouldn't anything? we have to be captured and put in one of the many test tubes in Asus Law for us to be synthesized? I mean, how would they have done that? Just got one of our eyebrows or, you know, fingernails. <laughs> Elegant DNA test, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's basically what it is. But that was just another thing that just really blew a lot of our minds and confused the living hell out of me um besides that we have we now at we're now at the end of the story so far we have a few loose ends um mm. the heretics a lot of loose ends. we have yeah. a lot of loose ends uh yeah. what do you think what do you think are the biggest loose ends and what do you think is going to be done about them um we're going well, we've we have covered most of them. Mm-hmm. The heretics, the high houses. Yeah, we, um, yeah. One loose end that we really didn't talk about, um, and this is going back in the story that kind of happened in the middle of the, the Dragon Song War and everything and all the parlay um, with the dragons, was us getting Yastola back. Apparently, we have a ticking time bomb on our hands. Yeah, so that was interesting. So the deal with Yashtola, for anyone who didn't catch it, is that um, we, we got an explanation from Kani Senna a little bit earlier when we were trying to bring her about how it is that the elementals uh, sort of experience and sense the world. And being beings of pure ether, they, they're sort of privy to the sort of movements of ether through the live stream and through the world and through the land. And... Um, 
that's what they have instead of, you know, visual sense and auditory and tactile senses. Um, so what's happened to Yashtola as a result of her time in the life stream as a purely ethereal being? So, so obviously she doesn't have a body there and she's just this, this clump of ether, this essence that is slowly kind of being pulled apart. We managed to get to her just in time. So she's come back with the ability to do the same thing, to be able to sense things through the ether, which is sort of this, this kind of higher level of consciousness in one way. But at the same time, as she is doing it, her essence is continuing to degrade and she's sort of falling apart from the inside. And that's um, part of the, she's lost the color and the sort of brightness in her eyes. Um, and she's warned against that. The implication is basically that sooner or later, um, if she can't kind of reel herself back, if she can't prevent herself from using this power, it is going to kill her. And I think that inevitably she's going to be called to use it for the greater good and she's going to have to sacrifice herself in some way uh, well down the track. Um, which is interesting because we've sort of saved her, but at the same time we're kind of more sure of her demise than we were at the end of uh, before the fall when it was kind of still up in the air. You know what I mean? Right. And that brings us to the other scions. Um, we only retrieved her. Um, mm. what about the other ones? Um, Moonbreda is wishful thing. That's wishful thing. I would love to bring Moonbreda back, but she, I feel like we're not going to bring her back. Um, even though I feel like Urianje is still trying to work at that. And yes, that's, another, well, that's an important device. Yeah, that's, that's a really a, important device. Yeah, and that's another. I think I think we change. need. I think we need Moonbreeder to not come back so that we have this motivation for Uriange, um, this sort of passion and this drive that leads him to do things like, you know, conspire or pretend to conspire with the Asians. Um, he's trying to find a way that he can bring her back. If he actually achieves that, then I think he goes back to being a really kind of boring two-dimensional character, which he's been for the longest time. Um, so no, I don't think we'll get Moonbreeder back. Um, hmm. And speaking on Urianje, why do you feel like that wasn't touched? We saw that at the end of Before the Fall, and we did not, we didn't see any interaction with him or the Asians. He's just there, mostly. Well, at I the think end. we we got a moment of um, kind of contrary evidence. I know a lot of people like convinced that Urianje was either an Asian or conspiring with the Asians. Mm -hmm. um, what we get is uh, as we're heading into um, uh, to the Ethereum chemical research facility, he gives us the white aura side. Yes. And he says, you know, deal with those sons of bitches. Um, would he have done that if he was an Asian? Probably not. Maybe, maybe he wants to be the one Asian. Um, but like I say, it does, it does complicate the issue and it is in direct discourse and direct conflict with that last scene that we saw of him. And it does definitely complicate the issue. Yeah. I just, I just feel like with that, with the whole, um, white aura site, he gave us one mm. knowing, I'm not sure if he knew about Iggy Orm. If he's talking with the Asians, of course he knew about Iggy Orm. Then why did he just only give us one white aura site? There only was one. 
I think that was the implication. It was just the, the last one that he just happened to find. And it was, you know, the, the one kind of legacy of mm-hmm. Moon Breeder and the one thing that she'd had the, the foresight to leave behind. And... But it was interesting that we used it on Ijeom and not on La Habrea. Yeah, that, I thought that was very interesting too because... Because you think we'd have La Habrea's number by now. Yeah, La Habrea was the bigger threat. I felt like the bigger threat. Igiorm, we didn't know a lot about. Mm. I honestly thought that we would use it on La Habrea before Igiorm. And that mm. kind of threw me for a loop. That mm. really... Because um, I actually wanted to see a lot more of Igiorm. I wanted to mm. learn a lot more about her because we've seen La we La has been there since day one. Mm. We know we know La Habrea. We've gotten to know him. Mm. We're not sure. I'm not even sure how many Asians are left. There should be nine, I suppose. I think there's twelve of them. So we got a few, quite a few Asians. I mean, even though we yeah. just get rid of a new like one we just met. So we, we still got a few to deal with. We, we still got quite a bit that want to bring back Zodiac. Mm. So, um, yeah, and going back to the other Scions. What? <laughs> we got Yistola back. What about everyone mm-hmm. else? If we so can bring back Yistola, I feel like we can bring back Thancred. Menthelius yeah, up Thancred in the Yeah, was with Yistola. Um, he might be floating around the live stream as well, but I feel like we would have found him at the same time. So I don't, I don't know where he is. I don't know where any of them are, but I, I'm pretty sure they're all still alive. I got to say, I, I think we're going to find all of them. I, I agree with you. Well, with the exception of Bray the fuck. But yeah, I just think. Exception of the one that actually has some personality. Yes. <laughs> oh, she was great. But I kind of like, I agree with you. I, I feel like it's, really fucking stupid that Ida and Papalima would die from an LB3. It's so fucking stupid. There would be no way. I mean, they, they, Ishtola kind of brought down, um, what was it, the um, underground passageway over them? Mm. But Ida and Papalima, it was just Ida doing um, an LB3. She's not going to mm. die from her own LB3. She's alive. They're both alive. Well, here's, here's the thing with them. Um, if they they weren't in the tunnels yet, they were still in mm-hmm. the city proper. Yes. If they had the the tunnel, the, the gate or whatever it was sort of collapsed behind them, they would have been captured by the brass blades. They would have been imprisoned. We would have heard something about them by now. We, we wouldn't have uh, found out where Ralbon was and not them if, um, if they'd been captured. Right. But at the same time, if they'd been buried and somehow escaped, you think they would have showed up by now. I mean, hell, we so, did we did get back Rob on. Yeah. So I'd say I'd say if they did escape and they've been sort of on the on the lamb, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, they're probably gonna be showing up in Ishgard fairly soon. And if they don't show up <clears> fairly <throat> soon, then I'm gonna start wondering about that. Um and who else do we got? That that really just leaves him in Philia, doesn't it? Yeah. Do you think? I don't know. What What do you think the deal was with Minfilia suddenly regaining the ability to communicate with Heidelin? And ours took a journey to get back. 
Yeah, that was kind of well, weird. Well, was, ours was suppressed, and Minfilia's wasn't suppressed. Right. Heidelin just sort of stopped talking to her. And she just all of a sudden got it back. Yeah, it, I kind of felt that for her, that was foreshadowing. And Did Heidelin just not have anything to say? Was Heidelin just like, you're not doing anything interesting? I'll, I'll call <laughs> you later. <laughs> That's really technically what Mephilia is. She's just not doing anything. <laughs> she has not been doing anything for how many patches? Hey, hey she's Xavier, all right? Don't, we're not going to get into this Xavier. argument again. No, she is not Xavier. She is Xavier's at least more useful without legs. She has legs and doesn't do shit but get captured mm. and get put in S&M positions. Hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know where she is. Again, they didn't leave us any breadcrumbs for that mm. whatsoever, which I think was a little bit cheap yeah. because speculating is, is so much fun. But baseless speculating is, you know, doesn't, doesn't really get you anywhere. No, not at all. So with all the story, were there any, um, any other letdowns that you had? Well, the big one was obviously the, the deal with Nanamo after mm -hmm. screaming and crying and throwing herself across the room. <laughs> apparently, apparently, that's what sleeping pills do. I've, I've taken a lot of sleeping pills in my yeah. time, and there are no tears. I fucking promise you. I didn't that joke. Was bullshit. We didn't choke off sleeping pills. They don't do that to you. No. Um, so... Yeah, I didn't. I didn't like that. That was cheap, and and it wasn't. It wasn't even because, like a lot of people are saying, that it somehow belittles all of the, all of the tension and all of the loss from uh, before the fall. Mm -hmm. It's literally just that it was such a fucking cheap shot. <laughs> I don't like having people pull that kind of shit on me. Um, another interesting one was um, when we retrieved the key to Azizla. From mm -hmm. Bishma. This is one that people probably didn't pay much attention to. But um, Ijeon sort of restrained us and took the key and then just let us go and they just left. Yeah, you would think. Like, you would think. I feel like at that point, yeah, we didn't, we, we were still suppressed from the blessing of light. You think she could have just fucking tried us to out. kill us? Yeah, just make yeah. an attempt. But she didn't. She yeah. just, it's like she wanted, she wanted to see us later. Mm. It, it, well, I mean, I mean, it does sort of um, ties in the way the Asians operate. They don't like to interfere directly, and they were all really kind of dissing uh, Elidibus mm -hmm. for interfering directly because that's not what they're about. What they're about is turning the denizens of Aeordia against uh, themselves and creating this sort of state of chaos without them actually having to do anything because it kind of defeats the purpose. Um, and you it's say, only really when when they're say, backed into a corner that they kind of attack. And that's what I was about to say. You say that uh, the Asians don't like to get involved. Yeah, but then how they many do. times? Yeah. yeah, how many times yeah, yeah, have yeah, we yeah, seen yeah. Hellabra? How many times? Yeah. And it's difficult because you got to draw that line. Mm -hmm. And I think it's when when they're sort of at threat of themselves being destroyed, then they're allowed to kind of break the rules. But I think that's part of you know the whole zodiac mandate in some way um, is that. You don't you don't interfere and you know you don't directly attack unless it's um unless you're really backed into a corner. 
I think my biggest letdown of the story was alongside with um, Nanamo, just I really, I really, really wanted to kill um, Lillarito. I think we all did. We all wanted to kill Lillarito, and we just couldn't because we kind of had to accept the fact that, hey, Nanamo's alive. Oh, it'll come. It'll come. We'll have our day. Rob and Vaughn will have his day anyway. Why the fuck we haven't we built Rob on a new arm? We have the tools. We have the technology. He just has it covered with a sheet with a um with his cape. That's all he has. We couldn't give Do the you man. Think a that's the new look. Do you think that's the new look? Or Bullshit. We have we Sid. Actually, going to make him into Barrett. He's going to be Barrett. He's going to be Barrett. It's oh, going to happen. Good. We have Sid. Good. Uh. But yeah, I think. Yeah, there were a lot of letdowns and a lot of cheese in, in the story. <laughs> a lot of fucking cheese in the story. Um, I'm still kind of pissed. I'm another thing I'm kind of pissed at is the fall of Iceheart. She she's just she's just gone too soon. That kind of hurt my soul. It, well, here's the thing. Yes, she's gone. Yazel is dead. The heretics are not. The heretics still worship Shiva. Um, the heretics aren't privy to that knowledge about the primals that we are from Horace Velga. Mm -hmm. They could realistically uh, try to summon Ice Heart again with or without Asian influence. And maybe, gonna... maybe that will be Yazelle. I, I remember in, um, at the end of turn 12, mm -hmm. uh, Louis Soir is concerned with people learning about what happened with Phoenix because he doesn't want to come back. He doesn't want to be forced to come back and be indentured as a primal. Um, now he, he wouldn't know how that works having never really experienced that there being no precedent, but do you think it's possible that if Shiva was summoned back that she still would be attached to the essence of Yazelle or will that have disintegrated or just be the mindless uh, uh, kind of, Primal Shiva. I think we get a new primer to summon Shiva. Mm. I think mm. we get a replacement. I think we we get a replacement for what Ysel was. Um, mm. Yeah, I just don't think it's going to be um, uh, the um, heretics just summon a new Shiva out of thin air. No, there has to be a primer. There has to be a new primer, and it'll be someone i don't know who but it'll be someone to replace her why do you think there has to be a a primer given that none of the other primals do i mean we just recently learned the truth about um shiva's story we just basically mm. learned the truth about the ice heart summoning of shiva and um i think because they don't have that knowledge I think they'll find out some way, somehow, I think accidentally, but they'll find the uh, heretics will find out um, about Iceheart, about Shiva, um, and they'll just find, they'll find a way to um, bring about the summon because they know how, they know how um, Iceheart did it. They know how Iceheart did it. They're just going to assume that we just need a placeholder. They're going to build a bicycle. <laughs> no. 
I don't think so. <laughs> I'm gonna build an elegant motorcycle. <laughs> oh god. God don't a fucking don't, nail in the car. Don't Oh my god. No, no oh twins, no fucking motorcycles, please. <laughs> oh man. Okay, so All right, well that's that's the letdowns. Yeah, those are the letdowns. Um one thing we haven't touched on were the dungeons. Uh with these dungeons, you, we kind of didn't get a lot of lore with the exception of a few and mm. I kind of feel like they shoehorned the lore into these dungeons. Yeah, definitely. There wasn't a lot in there, and when it was, it was just for a brief moment, just to kind of say we threw lore in there, and that was it. And, hell, it was so quick that I didn't even have the time to read it, because one, nobody's going to stop to read fucking lore. <laughs> Nobody. I mean, you are the only one who gets lucky enough to... I yeah, I know. You get lucky enough to kind of have people to just wait on you. I'll type wait. And they they still pull. <laughs> they still pull. I, I was trying to read all Let the books. Pull. Whatever. Let them pull. I, I, I was trying to read all the books in the great uh, Google library, and I can't because you're just already there and pulling. And so Unfortunately, you didn't miss all that much. We, we learned through the, the sightseeing log that mm -hmm. um, most of the books were actually taken out of the library uh, during the exodus. And that sort of, um, I don't know what to call that section. It's like that, that sort of Harry Potter section, isn't it? Where all the <laughs> books are trying to kill you. Um, they, only, they only left one page there. And it was page 64. That keeps trying to kill you. Every... Every book, so the 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 uh, the demon book, mm -hmm. it's the same page. It's sixty four. Now it's the one texture page sixty four. They used for that. They used for the last boss when he's flipping the pages. Every fucking page is sixty four. I've gone through that frame by frame. There's only one page in the whole fucking library. Now with the demon book, I wanted to kind of talk with you about that because in that fight, I my aortine's not good. I couldn't even pause it just to see what it was saying. Did you, could you actually see what it was being, what the huge ART and text on that book said? Um, I, I had to look at this a while ago and um, it didn't really make much sense. I think someone tried to unravel it in a, in a thread on Reddit. I'll, um, I'll link that in the post show if I can find it. Mm -hmm. um, but basically it's either in Dravanian or it's in the Asian tongue. And there's, there's not really anything there that's particularly uh, discernible. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, the one page that we're getting, we can't even really make that much sense of. At the moment, I need, I need to go through and have a really solid look at that and make sure that is the case. Okay. Um, but that said, I mean, we did get some tokenism law from the library. We got a lot of stuff on the, the Garland hierarchy, um, which uh, would have been really useful for you. <laughs> a month ago in AOC. Yes. Yes. Um, and it was really interesting that this was this was so sort of thorough. I mean, we got Zos, we know Zos. Uh, Ye is a, a member of the royal family who's eligible for the throne. Um, and uh, Weir is a royal family member that's not, not eligible. Uh, we've got Van, we know Toll, we know Sass, uh, Rem, Quo, Per, Optio, Owen, in sort of uh, descending ranks. 
Then we've got all the specialists like Nan, Mal, Lux, Ke. So we got the first two entries were all about the Galian hierarchy in, in this sort of really dense text. And I was, I was sort of thinking that was really promising. I think uh, that's the direction I was expecting the rest of the pages to go in. But the rest of them were really kind of shallow. They didn't give us much. We got um, one really interesting one, actually. Um, we've had a couple of mentions here and there about the new world, um, about the, the sort of implications of this. Um, it's basically, it's America. We're talking about the new world in the same sense that the, the British were talking about the new world. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if you read it, Sly, but see if you can take a guess. Who do you think is the, the sort of Eorzean Christopher Columbus? Who do you think discovered the new world? The Eorzean Christopher Columbus. See, I didn't even know there would be a quiz. Um, <laughs> it's always a quiz. Always a quiz. Who... Just take a guess. Just take a guess. It's a, it's a sailor. It's someone from Limsolomensa. not Miss Beard. Why no, not keep it's Melvin. It's Melvin. That's that's where she was uh, during 1.0 uh -huh. when we, we never saw her and then suddenly she came back and she won that the stupid fucking race or whatever it is and became the Admiral of Limsa Laminsa. She'd been on an expedition to the New World um, having all kinds of adventures there and there's sort of these conflated rumors about a, a city of gold, which is obviously the El Dorado reference. Um, but I thought that was really cool. Um, and I think that we're definitely going to get um, something heading in that direction. Uh, we probably won't see the new world for a long time, but it's going to be uh, an interesting sort of frontier. And it gives a lot more character to Melvin, which I think is, yeah, I, I, I thought that was awesome. Um, the other one in there uh, that actually really bothered me is we got uh, an excerpt from a from an unnamed diary talking about uh, Lady Armandine Dartencore. Ah, and referring to the um, basically the void scent uh, that they'd summoned that she was going to inhabit, and that. Um, you know, it wasn't going to be as beautiful as she used to be, but it was, you know, much better than the, the mess of a face that she had. Um, so that was interesting. But the thing is, that happened like a year ago. Oh, exactly. And the library has been abandoned for nearly three decades. So how the fuck did that get there? <laughs> Somebody's keeping... Um, so people say, oh my God, it was the Charlians. The Charlians converted... Lady Amandine, I'm like, what, what Charlians? It's no Charlians. No. <laughs> They're not here anymore. Um, is, it, is it something, is it like a magical library that just like teleports all kind of material into itself or? That kind of yeah, sounds like it. That kind of sounds like it as events That's, are occurring. Yeah. As events are occurring around Aortia, we're getting records put in the library now. Yeah. They're, this is really interesting, but. You, the one thing we do know is that we have people um, inhabiting the area around the library. We still the the goblins were there, correct? Mm. Yeah, they're not in the library though. They they couldn't get in ah. um, because of the the sentinels, because of all the shit that we had to fight our way through. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of interesting that the library 
might have a mind of its own. Conva's right. The library's the Twilight Zone, straight up. Yeah. Um, the other dungeon that kind of had some a little bit of lore, not as much as the library, uh, was Dust Vigil. And this is where I say that it was shoehorned in. Because mm. um, you get the lore for um, Ulmeric. Mm. Yulmeric. Yulmeric, excuse me. Um, yes. And it's just that little bit in that phase. Anything before that or after that, that's that's it. You don't get any. Yeah, it, it's interesting. It gives us like a little slice of life as to... I mean, we know what the Calamity was like for the Lamentsons and the Gridanians and, and everyone else in our alliance and the places we've been. We know what experiencing that was like for them. What we didn't realize was that it it hit Ishgard really hard as well. Anyone who's seen or played 1.0 knows that the Coethus Highlands were all rolling green hills and that within a couple of days uh, as a result of Dalamud falling and interrupting the sort of ethereal flow of the landscape, it became this wasteland and um, the Dusk Vigil was being occupied by, I think it was Houses MAL, um, I might be wrong about that, but I know that Yul Merrick was um, the quest giver in 1.0 for the Zemael Darkhold. So that's why I'm thinking oh. Zemael. Anyway, uh, they got snowed in. Um, they got trapped in there and they eventually went mad and had to eat each other. And now they're, you know, mindless Ashkin. And that's really tragic. And it gives us, it is definitely shoehorn, but it does give us a kind of flavor of what the calamity was like for for Ishgard and the fact that they had to abandon the Western Highlands, not because of the dragons, but because it was just completely fucked after the calamity. Do you think we'll see more of that lore a la uh, Temterra in maybe a Dust Vigil hard mode? Do you think we'll see it or do you think that just was the end of it? I'd like to see a Dusk Vigil hard mode. I can't really speculate about that at the moment. I don't think your Merrick will come back. I think it'll be a different sort of line um yeah i don't know i really don't know there's one other dungeon which which we should talk about mm -hmm. and that is the, the fractal continuum yes um why do you think that i want to talk about that well one when i rolled through the fractal continuum um mm -hmm. let me make sure i'm getting it fractal continuum etherochemical research Two different things. Yeah, the Ethereum Chemical Research Facility was the story one. The Fractal Continuum is the the uh, what do you call it? The museum. Yes. Um, yeah, there was a lot. Yeah, you saw a lot of plaques and information in the Fractal Continuum. Again, mm -hmm. never have time to read it. <laughs> I never get that fucking kind of time. Uh, but. Yeah, there was so we got a, a couple. We got a couple of cool little things in there. I mean, we, we got a lot of explanations of uh, they made like synthetic void scent, which is kind of creepy, and other you know chimeric things. Mm -hmm. um, we came across some mobs in there called Ixalion. Um They are winged Ixal. Breeded Ixal. Well, not really breeded. I wouldn't say breeded, but created Ixal. Exactly. So what we found out, we've got we've got this Ixali creation myth already that they lived in this place called Aatlan. Um, and that uh, they 
descended, um, that Garuda was sort of responsible for their descent and then took their wings for them that they would sort of be reliant on her favor. And now we've got the truth is that the Ixal were actually chimeric creations synthesized by the Allegans as slave labor. And they were, um, uh, their sort of crafting prowess and their intelligence is in virtue of the fact that they were designed to be like maintenance workers. Hmm. Um, so we have this, this new uh, implication, not only of the founding myth of the exile, but of Garuda, who now seems to have been some sort of revolutionary or rebellious exile that sort of freed the exile from uh, Azizlar from wherever it was up there that they were working and sort of led them on this exodus down towards uh, Girabanya and uh, eventually the Twelveswood, um, which gives us like a clear kind of historical character for the primal Garuda to be based on, but also just a really interesting sort of origin story for the Ixal, which I knew we were going to find up there somewhere, and I was really excited to find it. Um, and I thought that they were probably going to have been enslaved by the Allegans, but the fact that they were literally created by them, I think is really, really interesting. So by default, in a way, Garuda is an Allegan created primal. Would you say that? Would that be fair to say? I think it would be fair to say that the historical Garuda mm -hmm. was an exile, was a winged exile. Um, and was a leader, was kind of a Spartacus, if you will, um, among the exile. Joan of Arc. And um, yeah, 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 pretty much. And um, they escaped from Azaslaw and they made their new home down below. And then after a couple of generations, they went through this process of sort of losing their wings because they weren't, they weren't using, they had no need for them. We know a similar thing happened in Mericidia to uh, dragon coels who were dragons, but eventually ended up kind of taking the form of these kind of scaled coels. Mm -hmm. So something similar happened there. And then she sort of passed down in legend as their, their sort of Jesus, basically, their savior, their God. <laughs> And then the Assyrians took this pre-existing image and sort of twisted it um, into their own sort of violence, um, basically what it is that they wanted the exile to summon. And that's what Garuda the Primal is, is this sort of pale uh, simulacrum of what was at some point this great sort of savior and hero. So... That probably is the only other um, dungeon with lore around that we yeah. do have because it was kind of limited in this patch. Yeah. Um, from the map, you get you because of flying and because of how big the maps are, you kind of get these open areas in the map where you see something that you see something that could be used. You see like something like a hidden access panel or just open a bunch of open area that could lead to something else. Do you think, do you feel like we'll get new dungeons out of these places? And can you kind of pick up from the lore of the area, what these dungeons might be? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we were doing, we were all doing the same thing during a realm reborn. We were looking at the maps and mm -hmm. identifying uh, potential entrances of new dungeons and potential entrances of new, uh, turns of coil. Um, so the two that I've noticed particularly in the last couple of days is one in the, the hinterlands 
It's called the, the St. Mossian Arboretum. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's basically this, um, well, it's basically what it sounds like. You've, you've probably all seen the building. It's, it's got like a tree like sprouting out of the top of it. It's all overgrown. Um, it's basically a catalog of, um, of plants that the, um, the Charlands collected from all across the realm and all across the world. Um, and uh, we know from the sightseeing log apparently that since they abandoned it, it's kind of gone wild and there's sort of all kinds of beasties and probably reflages in there, unfortunately. Really? Um, we're we're going to see more reflages? How many reflages have we seen? Everyone, everyone loves reflasia. The, the 90% of the people that have done any Savage, they just did Reflasia and they stopped there. So that shows you that they fucking love Reflasia. <laughs> <laughs> going to be getting lots of that. Um, so yeah, we're going we're gonna to get a dungeon there, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one, I know there was a bunch of them in Azoslar, but the one that particularly interests me is the Aqueduct. Now we see mm. in Azoslar, on top of all the Allegan stuff, we've got all the ruins. We've got these ancient cobbled ruins that the, the Allegan stuff is built on top of. And this is, um, it's either very, very early sort of developing Allegan stuff from the third astral age, or it's an older civilization still. Um, maybe one of the civilizations that called upon at least one of the warring triad. But there's definitely some other ruins there that are not, Allegan in the sense that we know the Allegans, and I want to explore them, and I think that the aqueduct is as good an excuse as any. Um, and then there's just a bunch of really obvious ones around Azisla that people have already noticed. Um, the Gratian will probably end up being a dungeon at some point. We'll probably find out that they're about to finish fixing it and we'll have to go in and dismantle it and, and fight um, Gallus again or something like that. Um, what about you, Sly? It's not, um, I agree with those in the map, but in particular, because this is something I've been doing a lot of, uh, places like the, um, just flying around, um, places like where Proto Ultima ends up, well, not ends up, but where you fight whatever proto ultimate drops in as is mm. that it just seems it seems like a, a kind of coliseum type area but i feel like there's more to it there's more to a lot of the places in as uh a few places in the sea of clouds that are unused um primarily. there's a lot of empty space in the sea of clouds mm-hmm. um sea of clouds and turning mist as well uh, I feel like we might get a dark scale dungeon in Turning Mist. Oh yeah, no, that would be interesting. And Shinjima, no, we're not going to the moon. We're not going to the <laughs> no, moon. no, we are not going. <laughs> Durgans in space is not happening. Durgans in space is not happening. We're not going to the moon. No, everything will be on Aortia in on Earth on the Earthly plane. Um. If we're going yeah. to the moon, it's with Somnus and a David Bowie soundtrack. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just, I don't know where else pro- probably, besides the places you said that we would probably get a, a, a new dungeon. Mm. It's, just, it's really kind of open-ended at this point. Uh, yeah, it, 
really is open-ended based on the maps and everything you have a lot of empty spaces that they could use and we have nothing but time we have nothing but time this is the first patch well yeah the first patch we just got today this is the first patch um we have a lot of time they have a lot of time to develop dungeons um now lord knows how many dungeons we're going to get per patch and how many of them are going to be recycled because i think we're going to see a lot what is what is the first hard mode that you want to see out of out of any of the dungeons that we did leveling up vault okay why is that how fun was the fucking and and how is that how would we go back to the vault (sighs) are there going to be some remaining archbishop sympathizers or heaven's ward sympathizers that take control of the vault that could be a possibility um Mm. I don't, I don't see how we can go to the vault. I'm just thinking, in terms of sheer fun factor, it would definitely be fun to go back to the vault. Just see how they could amp it up. What new places, what new areas of the vault um, we can access. Because mm. we went through the vault without knowing where um, Almeric was, what part of the vault he was in. There's a mm. bunch of new places we can access within the vault that I'd love to see. Um, the library, of course, would be a good one. Um, yeah, I want to see a hard mode of the library just to explore some new areas and give them a second fucking chance at not disappointing me. Right. <laughs> I was going to say the last two, um, either the research facility or fractal continuum, but I kind of feel yeah, like Yeah, that those, would be cool as well. Yeah. If anything, I'd like to see research facility hard mode mm. out, out of the two. Um, just to see what other coil mechanics they can put in, <laughs> because you know they're gonna just drop more coil mechanics that they just didn't use. Oh, definitely. Yeah. What about um, if we can get like one minstrel's ba- ballad sort of hard mode of of one of those last story bosses out of the Asians or um or out of uh, Thornton? Thornton. You take Thornton. I definitely take Thornton. Mm. Yeah, I think I'd do the same. I guess yeah. So. yeah. It's yeah. just it's just such a fucking That was so fight. epic. It was it, epic. Like, it was so it was so easy, but at the same time, it was kind of really frantic, you mm-hmm. know? You were you were constantly having to do something, you were keeping on your toes. It it felt like the stakes were a lot higher than they were. I don't feel like if they were to ramp it up, I don't feel it, it would be much more difficult because it really was so simple. It was that mm. fight was so simplistic. It was it felt a little bare bones, but at the same time, I kind I kind of feel like in its simplicity, it got away with a lot because it kind of pulled on our nostalgia strings. It really did. Mm. So we kind of looked past the difficulty and all in all the non mechanics that were there because there wasn't there weren't really a lot of mechanics in that fight. Um, turn away for the dragon's eye. Um, kill uh, adds. That was pretty much it. Standing where the uh, pillars were. That was it. There really weren't a lot of mechanics for that fight. So I feel like we kind of looked, even though it's a fun fight. And it was awesome the way it looked and everything. We kind of looked past the simplicity and we just, it pulled on our nostalgia strings. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think I'd take the same. I'd, I'd like to see both of them, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. I want to see like a difficult Asian fight because none of them have really been particularly satisfying. 
Um, and the ASEAN Prime is definitely something that we could revisit, whether it's um, through the, the Minstrel's Ballad or whether it's like another two ASEANs mm-hmm. pull a similar trick or all of the remaining ASEANs decide that they're going to they're gonna coalesce and have a go at us. Um, obviously, that wouldn't be for a long time. But, um, yeah, I'd take either. They were both great fights. They are both really, really great fights. Yeah. It's, it's just that it, with the content we have now, we, there's a lot that's open-ended. Um, there's mm. a lot that can be done, um, some limited by what, what is left within story. Like you were saying with the Asians, we can, uh, with Asian Prime, we have a certain amount of Asians left. We're not going to see Igiorm or uh, Labria. Um, it's going to be two newer Asians sometime when we when we're introduced to them. It just it's all dependent on story. It's all dependent on story and what they want to do with the lore. So, um, the last little bit of um, lore that I wanted to talk about was the lore inspired by hunts. Um, you don't get a lot of it, and mainly it's either it's really just s ranks it's really just s ranks and um certain certain rare hunts uh, even and, most of the s ranks and all that interesting to be yeah. honest uh one in particular was the story uh behind pale rider what was the story behind pale rider so pale rider is um basically one of the horsemen of the apocalypse to, to put it plainly, the Charlanes have got some myth about um, the Pale Rider appearing at the end of the world and uh, heralding Ragnarok and riding through and killing people. And that's it. That's, that's pretty much the most interesting lore that we've gotten from the S-Ranks at the moment, mm-hmm. um, which kind of sucks. I mean, we got another one <laughs> in... Um, we got one in the Forelands, which is a um, giant... Um, uh, what is it? Giant griffin. Mm-hmm. And they, they literally just tell us, yeah, it's a big griffin. It's a griffin <laughs> that like, that like eats big things and, and we, yeah, it's bad. We need to kill it. Um, like, come on, come on, give us some story about like the king of the griffins or the, the sort of mythological origins of the griffin. Actually talking about origins of the griffins, anyone who hasn't noticed it yet looking at the flavor text or whatever the griffins are the the cavalry of uh of alamigo the alamigans would ride them in a battle in the same way that the other the other nations ride chocobos um so that's pretty cool um other than that i mean we got proto ultimate we got a lot of implications there but nothing really nothing really solid um I know the um, what's that A rank in the in the Fallen's that you were talking about, Sly? Uh, the was it the Lord of the Wyverns? Uh, let me check. Lot lot of the Wyverns or Lord of the Wyverns. Yeah, I think it was Lord of the Wyverns, and you'd expect there to be something there, and there probably is something there somewhere, but I haven't seen it yet, and none of the the Hunt Masters or the um, I should call them the Hunter Scholars are uh, are really telling us anything about that. Right. So hopefully yeah. we'll get some more. Yeah, you just didn't get a lot uh, out of. The hunt, and I kind of wish there was because you, you see um, instances where you get all these flavor texts and everything, but that's it. They they just don't play it out to anything else. Um, 
It was the same with the sightseeing log this time yeah. round for, for anyone who's done the sightseeing log. Uh, you would have noticed easier. that. Yeah, so you, you can do it in like an hour. Um, <laughs> the flavor text, I don't think even one of them tells us something that we haven't heard from mm -hmm. somewhere else through main scenario dialogue, um, which, is a, which is a bit disappointing. Um, but I don't know. Ho hopefully we'll be getting more sightseeing logs with subsequent patches. That, that'll be something happy with love. I mean, I... Mm -hmm. Again, I thought the new sightseeing log was way easier. I didn't have to wait on weather a lot or a time of day. I just went to uh, just one of those little lit areas and just looked out, got it. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I haven't really looked into the lore of the sightseeing logs. I, it was just something that I just happened upon when I was out looking for, I don't know, Moogle Quest, looking for mm -hmm. Moogle Baskets, things like that. Yeah, it was just, uh, would you recommend that someone um, actually go through the sightseeing log in, in terms of lore um, connected to anything? In terms of lore? Yeah. In terms of lore, no. Okay. Um, if you're a completionist, then yeah, obviously do it. It's really quick. It only takes an hour. Just do it while you're queuing for something if you want to do it. But if you're doing it and you're expecting to have your mind blown with anything that you wouldn't have heard from somewhere else or even anything that we haven't mentioned in today's episode, you're not, you're not gonna be feeling particularly fulfilled coming out of it. Hopefully that'll change. Hopefully we're getting more sightseeing logs. But for now, not much to it. Yeah, again, something Happy would love to do um, that I would just do in passing. Uh, mm. So with everything we talked about, any speculation or closing thoughts that you have? Um, well, my my big speculation that I want to make sure that I have my name on. <laughs> is the basically the Garland thing. I'm I'm really I'm not sure, but I'm really hoping that the Garland's pushing for that technology in Azaslar is going to be uh the thing that unites man and dragon and gets us, you know, seeing eye to eye and, and fighting against a, a common enemy. Um and I think that that's the direction that the the three point series is going to go. Um other than that, there's not really much that we can speculate now with the um, with the Warring Triad, but I suspect that we're going to find that the Warring Triad was responsible for the third Umbral Era. Um, and that their, uh, their sort of um, chaining, their binding by the Allegans will be what ushered in the third Astral Era and what allowed the Allegans to sort of move forward and, and build this uh, this amazing empire of theirs so that's really all i've got for speculation we haven't really covered about you slay you got anything um besides again um we're, we're gonna free tiamat we're gonna free my girl we're nah. free tiamat free tiamat <laughs> still gotta get my shirt made it's gonna happen um somewhere down the line <laughs> I think that's that's one thing we're that's definitely gonna happen way down the line. Um in terms of anything else, um Yeah, besides Yasmat and Shinryu happening, yeah, I don't think I have any any other speculations. Um eventually we're going to fight Barris. I think mm -hmm. that's gonna happen. We're eventually, right. gonna, we're eventually going to take down Varus. 
Now, it'll probably be closer to the end of Heaven's Ward, but we will take down Varus. You know who I hope takes down Varus? Who? Gaius. <laughs> You're thinking Gaius is going to come back and kill Varus? Gaius isn't <laughs> dead. He's not dead. <laughs> that would be awesome. When it happens, it, it will be. It will be awesome. Oh, you're saying it's going to happen. He's not dead. He's not fucking dead. I'm not accepting that. Well, you heard it first. You heard it first, ladies and gentlemen. Guys isn't dead, and he's going to be the one to take down Varys. We're locking it in today. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and on that cliffhanger. <laughs> and on that cliffhanger, at this tell everyone where they can find you just in case they do not know or they just don't right. see the you know the twitter thing right there <laughs> oh yes there's a twitter it should be right it's right this time it's yay thank you mel thank you mel for fixing that um other than that my youtube you can find me youtube.com slash ethos asher i do all kinds of uh law videos and and speculation and analysis in terms of all the times like real world things like we were talking about with the dragons and shit like that um and that's good fun and i would be much obliged if you would drop in and join this discussion at some point um so that's that's me and sly where can everyone find you you can find me at uh, Sly the Fox on Twitter, at, uh, at twitch.tv slash Sly, a.k.a. Gray Fox. Uh, you can also find me on uh, Instagram at Sly, a.k.a. Gray Fox 07. And as always, you can find me on Behemoth uh, as Fox Sly, plot 14, ward 5 of the Lavender Beds. Um, as always, Ethis, thank you so much for coming in and schooling us on Final Fantasy 14 lore. Because it's something that not a lot of people pay attention to because, you know, we're, we're just either power leveling or, you know, trying to get through it or we just don't really... Just don't have enough spare time. I'm yeah, just, yeah spare we, time. we don't have enough spare time. We have asshole pullers. But yeah, really, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us about lore. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, guys. It's been awesome. Uh, rewind. You can come over and clean my room if you like. You know where I live. Um, <laughs> uh, blurry eyes. I, I'm sure I will be back and hopefully we'll be doing more Aeozivia on my channel sometime soon. Yes, um, we need to do that again because I need to kind of redeem myself for what a chance happened. To redeem I need to redeem myself for what happened. I, I failed all of you. I failed all of you and I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, can I... I, can I can I do a real quick shout out just with Rewind in the chat? Um, sure. Lady Rewind, she she raids with me. Uh, she's my white mage and um, she's got a Twitch channel, uh, twitch.tv slash Lady Rewind. Uh, if you want to see me derp gooning, then you'll be able to see that on a raid schedule. I'll, I'll be playing. I'll be hanging out in the channel. You can ask me questions if you want. Um, but either way, it's a, it's a good fun time. And it's in that weird sort of downtime, which is like 4 a.m. for you, Sly, when none of the none of the big names are really going and we're just sort of holding out the, the graveyard shift. So do, come do say you, hi sometime. Do you even know? Like, I am I am the graveyard shift. I am up at... Like, You're every shift, dude. Yeah, I am every fucking shift. Do <laughs> like you 20, even know? 24-7. Yeah, like, it's weird <laughs> hours for me. But... Again, thank you guys so much for coming by, and I hope to see you next week. Um, 
I have to talk to Happy about what's happening next week. He might be back, but we'll see. But thank you guys so much for coming by, and we will see you then. Obligatory way. Bye-bye. We are in push.